Hello, and welcome back to the What I've Been Watching podcast. Uh, this is one of the middle of the month ones, so I have a guest on, and with me this month is the amazing Kyle Clark from the This Is Wad and Everything Is Scary podcast, among many, Hello. many other things. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. I'm super excited to have you on. Uh, last month, we had Adam on. Ooh, what did he get? What did he do? Uh, he did Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. That feels on brand. I, for a second, I was like, I hope that son of a bitch did JoJo. And this is just like, the, he's just tearing through podcasts <laughs> doing JoJo left and right. I I you sadly know, do JoJo not have the Adam. JoJo knowledge to do a JoJo episode. Oh, neither do I. That's why we got Adam. He's really figured out, he's really carved out a brand. Mm-hmm. Yes, but this one, I this podcast at Leak, I like to do stuff that I have also seen. Okay. So, yeah. And so so now we're here today for Birds of Prey. Yes, which is... A fascinating show. Mm-hmm. Um, I own it on DVD. It's staring me from my DVD uh, bookcase over there. I have not picked it up yet. I think about it probably once a year, and I feel like the 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 eBay itch will probably end up with me pulling the trigger this year. So mm-hmm. I, I look forward to, to to doing that. Does it have like commentaries or anything? Like what we got goodies on that DVD. The only thing I know that does on there is that little mini doc thing called how a show about how three hot chicks fighting crime got canceled which i always thought was super funny uh i can't remember because it's been a couple a year since i actually pulled it out but it sits it sits comfortably next to my witchblade tv show dvd and my painkiller jane dvd oh oh, fuck me i forgot about painkiller jane also can we swear i'm sorry oh yes no i i love to fucking swear okay cool just making sure i i always forget to ask on shows and then i feel like i come in like the bad house guest um yeah painkiller jane i forgot in because like the witchblade show is kind of insane like we were a big tnt family because our family rode hard for babylon 5 Mm -hmm. and like the witchblade show is coming out the same time that like that last season of babylon 5 is happening and so like we're really going going for that ride and so i was just like i was just starting to get into like comics and become aware of stuff outside of marvel and dc and so like Witchblade was one of those things where I was like, that's crazy. And then when they turned it into a show, I was like, that's a clever way to adapt that. It's a shame that lady had a lot of problems. And then they had the most interesting season finale in season two of, like, any show I've ever seen. What was it? I'm trying to remember. Uh, They literally reset the entire show and save oh, the cop that gets killed in the first episode and then redo the entire show again. Just now this With guy's her. alive and so it's causing small ripple effects. Well, and again, it was a clever way that that it was Yancey Butler, I believe was her name. And mm-hmm. like she was a pretty gnarly alcoholic who got gnarlier and gnarlier on set. And so eventually, like they figured out a way to like keep the show uh, a very the Connors move where they have to like shift it in, in rapid succession and go through. But like, man, that's a I'm surprised that hasn't gotten another bite at the apple. Like, yeah. I feel like that that's another one like Panezzi needs to write again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's like of comic book adaptations to live action. It's like the two I'm consistently surprised haven't gone a go or another go are Witchblade and Hack Slash. I I agree on Hack Slash. I think that like because I think about this a lot with Hack Slash, a book that I don't know super well, but I find fascinating because it's kind of the like Vampirella of our time. Yeah, and like I think it's interesting because it's. It sells itself, but I think, and I think it might have the same problem to a certain extent that Witchblade has, where like 
that that level of like top cow cheesecake sexy is like a little much for like the public to go like this is what you're basing it off of and i always worry that like that's what's gonna hold those back well they was they rebooted witchblade in 2017 in the comics in oh yeah and it's i I don't it was a really solid one of oh yeah that was hilarious (laughs) yeah it, it was a really solid one um not quite the best comics that came out that year because that was also the year the Power Rangers comics started up and those things are amazing. It's, uh, yeah, it's when it's, because I'm trying to think, I feel like I maybe haven't read a Witchblade since Mike Turner died. Mm. So that's like 10 going 20 years ago, so I might have to do some digging. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, in the same milieu as these, as, as all of these shows we're talking about was the 2000s adaptation of The Invisible Man by the Sci-Fi Channel. Oh yeah, I don't. I didn't do that one. It's weird because I was such a mark for the Sci-Fi Channel, but I feel like that might have been in that same run as Nightman, where mm-hmm. I was like, "Look, I can't keep getting hurt by you people." And then like the Tremors series was, I feel like the where I really was like, "Okay, we gotta we gotta break up." And then but, like man, and for then, that all those shows. Yeah, and then they went on to make Eureka and White House thirteen and Winona Up and Dark Matter, and they just had a really good run there. You know what's an underrated one that I feel like is the precursor to a lot of that stuff is uh, G versus Z. Remember mm. G versus Z? I think that was a little bit before my time. Yeah. Okay. It, that was that's an underrated one. That that was another real like has that same kind of vibe as like a Eureka or something like that, but was just just I think too early for people to wrap their minds around like there's monsters, but it's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this back to our topic, Boots of Play <laughs> is such a weird show and i love it dearly um, i i i watched every episode of this when it aired like mm-hmm. i was i was invested i was because i i loved dark angel the first season and then i feel like the second season of dark angel is some of the most disappointed i've ever been in a show where i was just like oh i just can't watch this now i hate this uh and then birds of prey showed up right when i was kind of in that hole and i was just like okay this is gonna replace dark angel i am about this and then the more it went on the more like that show, it, it's crazy. Like, it it did what, you know, and, and I don't know. Do you think about this, too? Because, like, I was not a Smallville person, but I look back at Smallville and go, like, it is insane that that was on television. We had a Justice League just on fucking the WB, like, and we all don't talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. and that's crazy to me. And this is a similar one where, like, there's a lot of stuff that I just couldn't fathom at that age like seeing from comic book stuff on tv and we take it for granted now because you see so much you know the the goddamn dc universe on the cw is is this weird miracle brilliant thing but Mm -hmm. it like makes it easy to forget that like because i mean we're both of that ilk where it's like there was such a you know lack of genre stuff you know at times so like if there was something that was new like you you couldn't be just writing shit off like you're just like hey they got this farscape thing now we all gotta gotta check this out it's got muppets farscape is farscape is rad i just uh i'm i'm actually like a little over halfway through i mm-hmm. i've been doing i finished uh, i worked through all the star treks in covid and a little bit before covid and so i needed something and so i've been using other stuff and farscape was a real good like star trek methadone have, have you when how far away are we from you doing the full Stargate dive? I don't know, man. I uh I love the movie like as a kid. I I've yet to I think that like 
there's definitely like stuff that I'm looking for in like a sci-fi, you know, show like that. And I'm not sure because like Stargate has similar energy to Sequest, which I also tried to give a shot to and just never took. Like there's just certain ones that work and some that don't. Mm -hmm. I think it's scrappiness. I think like Stargate is like a little less scrappy. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense at all. I grew up on Stargate, so I don't have a. Oh, and I know, and I know people who 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 almost worship that show. Mm -hmm. I am. It's another one that I am fascinated by because, like, I love any fandom where it's like a real specific fandom. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's people who are just like, we ride or die this thing that nobody gives a hot fuck about. Like, there's a weird nobility in that to me because I think because like there's a lot of weird bullshit I like, but (laughs) so like Stargate especially, I'm just like, man, like that is. That is a group of like that's the kind of fan base you want on a show that is just sort of like quiet but there and is enough to support like four different or five different TV shows over the course of 20 years. Like that's about as hard as you can win on TV. Mm-hmm. That's me with the 12 Monkeys TV show. Mm, is that good? I love it. Um I never heard anything about it. Another one where I'm a big fan of the movie. Yeah, it's you have to take the time travel timey wimey with it. Um, Never a deal breaker for me. Good. I know people where it is. It's, that's always odd to me because, and I understand this is like a stupid argument, but like at the end of the day, time travel doesn't exist. Yeah. So the idea that like you're demanding a canon, and I get that you should stay consistent with a story, which I fully agree with. But like <laughs> once you set your rules, if somebody's like, your rules don't add up, and it's like, well, then you tell me how I'm wrong and you create time travel. Yeah. But it's 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 ninety nine percent consistent on its time travel rules. Um, yeah, you always got to fudge them a little. It's the Bill and Ted clause. Yeah. Um, but it's it's there was a pandemic that wiped out all of humanity, and then time we invented time travel, so they go back to try and stop it. Uh, yeah, it's. Have you seen the movie before? I I did. I have after watching the TV show, and I, I prefer the TV show. I'm going to throw a third piece at you. How I came to 12 Monkeys is Chris Marker, the filmmaker, made a film called La Jete. It's yes. kind of an art house staple. It's like 40 minutes long. The first thing I ever directed is a loose uh, riff on La Jete at a couple of parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I am kind of obsessed. I'm kind of obsessed with Chris Marker as a filmmaker. He just does a lot of stuff I think is like clever between like La Jete being all photographs except for the three seconds of the woman blinking her eyes. And uh, he has another movie called San Sole, which is uh, he was just on a ferry for two days that was traveling and he just filmed people and then had wrote stories for them and then had actors read letters that these people were writing as fictional characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, love that shit. And so, yeah, so Legete got broke my brain. I'm like, he watched his own death. And then I watched 12 Monkeys. I was like, this is that movie. He watched his own death. Mm-hmm. And these base suit things look really cool. Yeah. I, I really enjoy the 12 Monkeys TV show. It starts out a little slow, but once it hits its gear, because like, I think it starts out good, but not great. And then mm-hmm. once it hits its gear at like the second half of the first season, it becomes mm-hmm. great for the rest of the show. So I'll jump us back to Birds of Prey, because just for whatever reason that that made me think of, oh, because you said like, like picks up after a couple of episodes. Is Birds of Prey 13 episodes or 23? I think uh, it's 13, right? I think it's, I thought it was a weird amount. Oh, like it got a half pickup. Interesting. Well, it uh, it was also the WB. Uh, yes, no, it was a thirteen order. 
Okay, so it was was uh, the 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 Channel Five setup. Uh, I <laughs> realized like, I was called Channel Five because it was Channel Five for me, and that and it's not Channel Five now, so I don't know why I've just committed to that. <laughs> but like CW, especially now, because I follow a lot of the CW shows, I still follow Riverdale. That show is insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has gone to the point where it's walked back to the shock it jumped over and is now riding it into battle. That's such a good line. Um. Yeah, Riverdale's one of those things that, again, I just so, I love that it exists. Like, I love that there is this insane, weird, sexy, Archie show that is just, like, one of the best things on TV. Like, there's just something that, it's, uh, I think I love Riverdale because it makes me not have to love American Horror Story as much. Because <laughs> there's a new, fun, like, weird, queer show in town. I, I will also point to the Nancy Drew TV show as, extremely excellent which i keep forgetting is out like i i remember seeing something for it and then going i'll keep track of when that comes out and it's been out for some time and i was like oh when's that a thing season two is now out on hbo max okay um, um you know what i've been watching and i know i swear to god i'll take us back to to the the the, the birds of prey uh i am like nine episodes just today while i've been working on the stain or the strain which mm. i've been uh curious about forever isn't and, that a game uh, older toy it is. It's he. He co-produces it, and he like wrote the 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 book. I'm kind of curious on like his level of in of of involvement in like the book and the show and stuff like that because it very much has his vibe. But it like he did have a period of time there where he was sort of just like stamping his name on stuff like Robert Rodriguez and uh, Quentin Tarantino have done in the past mm -hmm. and Eli Roth. Uh, and again, nothing against it. It's it's you know getting people's shit made but put your name on. It's not a bad thing. But it's it's I was i've been in on like it was on like a kick i'm like i need something that's like not too heavy but is kind of compelling and i remember like i loved the posters for this let's take it for a ride and see what happens and really been enjoying it um and it has had the nice side effect of like i've, I've been kind of tepid to the last few uh things del toro has done uh mm -hmm. i like shape of water but i aggressively don't like pacific rim and i didn't love uh crimson peak and it was nice to watch this and go like oh shit i forgot i love him <laughs> Well, like, Peak I love Toro. Tentacles. Peak Del Toro is still Hellboy too. Absolutely. You mean one of the finest films humans have constructed? Yeah, it's it's. Well, not making my actual top ten. It is in the same league as something like Attack the Block. Of like, if I just need a movie to watch. That's a, the ex Yeah, absolutely. It's like it's not meeting Arrival or the original Ghost in the Shell or Hannah for me, but it's still amazing. You need different tiers. Like, I feel yeah. like you can't just... You, comfort movies come in at several different flavors. Like, sometimes mm -hmm. I need something fun, and sometimes I need something, like, weird that's comforting. Like And sometimes I need to just cry. Mm -hmm. And that's when you put on Arrival. <laughs> I, uh... I don't know why. I was watching an episode of Ninja Warrior recently on oh. Hulu and like started to get super emotional. I think I've been holding back for some feelings for the last couple of uh, like the last month and a half being kind of insane on my end. But I was just like, oh, man, they made it. They've been working so hard. I still go back and watch the original Ninja Warrior from like oh G4 era. With the that, <laughs> that was me and my dad's Friday night for like. A two years was just like when I was home from the summer in college Friday was like he would be prepping for his band to come over and like for the the, the hour or so we, he would like pick up a pizza and while we're waiting for the band we would just watch Ninja Warrior and Attack of the Show and it's such a like it's such a goofy thing but it's so like intrinsically tied to like me and my dad in like a very specific time period
I just remember sick days, and I would go on demand on Comcast and watch like ten of those in a row. It, it's it's hard to describe to people now because YouTube is such a different animal. And it's kind of our only analog. Like, just how much our generation watched G4 and was like, I can't believe this is on television. It's a whole network that is Wayne's World. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just, like, we'd just be like, I can't believe that, that you know, like, when they did Comic-Con and they had, like, when she said Mick Hammer instead of MC Hammer, and instead of cutting that out, they turned it into a character who's just an MC Hammer dressed like Ronald McDonald who throws cheeseburgers at people. Yeah. <laughs> like, how, that's that's just too good. Yeah. No, it's, those, those days were the days. Um, no, you know what were other days? Those beautiful days when Birds of Prey was on. <laughs> You are much better at this podcast thing than I am and getting on track. (laughs) But yeah, um, I found Birds of Prey by... I fell... Okay, this is going to be a journey. You ready? I'm strapped in. Um, So there is a show that I fell in love with um, in the mid-2010s, or early to mid-2010s, mid-2010s, called Lost Girl. Uh, it's about a bisexual succubus in Canada. Okay. Uh, and Rachel Sconstone, who plays Dinah in Birds of Prey, plays probably my favorite character in Lost Girl, uh, Tamsin. And so I kind of started going through her backlog, and at this time, Birds of Prey was on Netflix. Mm. And that's how I found it. Okay. Just a whole journey. Yeah. And then, I, now, currently, Rachel Sconstone, the same actress, is playing the bad guy on Batwoman. Oh, is she really? Yeah, she's playing Alice. Okay. I uh, My big pull at the time was Dina Meyer. Uh, mm-hmm. Because uh, Starship Trooper is one of my favorite movies of all time. And she's also just an actress who, like, is quietly in everything. Yeah, and is and it's one of those like people who I'm just always like. There's not I don't follow a ton of actors, but weirdly she is one where I'm like, ooh, Dina Mayer's in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has the the brutalist death I maintain in the Saw movies. Mm-hmm. She's also now on All American. Yeah, which that is a show I haven't gone into, but no by osmosis because I'm on the CW enough. <laughs> There's, man, this show is just like a parade of TV actors. Like, like well, it is, it is crazy for- looking at it. Let's not forget the biggest actor on the show, uh, Shan Moore. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, who is like the lead, one of the major leads in Criminal Minds for over a decade. And and is on SWAT. Like, like yeah. it's... It's uh like truly maybe one of the great the kings of television. Uh, he also is part of like oh yeah. Also going to be in the second Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Weird. Maybe he can convince them that they shouldn't do that. <laughs> also, I didn't realize Mia Sarah played Harley Quinn. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. I had no idea. <laughs> Ferris Bueller's like you know girlfriend, like one of the cooler gals in in an eighties movie. Mia Sarah was Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say this. I, I am curious about this as well. Like, have you seen the Birds of Prey film? Uh, and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn? That's, that's the one. I fucking love that movie. It's maybe, it's probably, it's probably one of my top movies. 
in my top two or three movies of 2020, if not maybe my number one movie of 2020. I I went into that, you know, wanting to support because, like, I'm a big Margot Robbie fan. I think, like, I, Tanya is an uncelebrated masterpiece. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that, like, I've liked everything she's ever been in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like her so much that there's, like, three other actresses who she looks very similar to, and I'm just huge fans of them and their work as well. Mm-hmm. It's, like, her and Samara Weaving. It's her, Samara Weaving, and Jamie Presley, three actresses that I'm a massive fan of and have to aggressively keep track of and often fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, because J.B. Presley through My Name is Earl, and then Samara Weaving's a recent discovery for oh, me. Yeah. We've done the Babysitter movies, which I thought looked awful, and now think both are fucking five-star excellent uh, on Everything is Scary. And, and she then, was also in uh, Ready or Not. Which we watched as well. Like, we really went on. I think we've watched every genre movie she is in. We just had, had like, it was slowly becoming a Samara Weaving podcast. <laughs> well, I don't think you are all caught up. I don't what think. Do we- what do we got? Uh, cause wasn't she in Freaky? Maybe. Let me. But I'm pulling freak- up her IMDb page. Okay. But is Freaky a horror movie? Uh okay. No, it wasn't we're, her. We're just doing Samara, Samara horror movies. That's the uh-huh. key. Or maybe if she went to space, I would like to see that as well. Well, how about do you feel about her in super na- uh, in, in an action movie? I'm for it. Uh, cause she's going to be Scarlet in the new Snake Eyes movie. Oh. All right, well, I have real mixed emotions on that. Happy she's working, <laughs> really not into them going like, Hasbro's just an infinite well. Like, it's weird to me that they keep trying to make G.I. Joe work, and it's just like, it's like Master of the Universe. I'm like, you guys can keep trying, but it's just like, the time has passed. I, I'm i waiting for them to stop trying to make G.I. Joe work and start trying to make Magic the Gathering work as a film yeah, franchise. Or fucking Street Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> it sells itself. You show me one person in this world who would see a bunch of ripped shark dudes tearing through the streets and then fighting crime that that doesn't go like, oh, we must see that Im- immediately. Mm-hmm. It's the Jaws. Me- it's Jaws meets the Warriors. We just make all the money. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. You and me. Let's go write it. Yeah, but no, Freaky <laughs> is a horror movie. It's just okay. I got her mixed up with a different actress. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but um, it's it's where a serial killer and a teenage girl in high school swap bodies. Jesus Christ! It's uh it's an endless well of a bit. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, it it was interesting as somebody who like it, it was weird that Birds of Prey because like you know I'm never gonna like try to try to ride hard for birds of prey as a franchise because it's probably not my spot to be the super fan there but like (laughs) it's weirdly one of these dc properties that like they keep taking runs at and it's it's it feels sort of similar to the tick for me Mm. where like every version of it that has existed is excellent but it just can't seem to like find legs in a real tragic way yeah uh because i remember like like this show and the the her run on deadpool led me to Gail Simone and then Gail Simone's, you know, run on, on birds of prey, which yeah. if somebody's listening to this and it enjoys this show or enjoys the idea of birds of prey, I cannot think of a better starting point than, than the stuff she did. It looks mm-hmm. great. It reads really well. Like, like she is one of my favorite like dialogue writers and she comes up with really interesting scenes for stuff. So that, you know, was in, in my rotation for probably until I stopped doing regular comics mm-hmm. and then, uh, like, like, like regular purchases. And mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, like uh, you know when they announced this thing and it was one of those things like you know they they turned it into sort of a harley quinn thing but my on the one hand like again i'll I'll ride hard for harley quinn i think she's great but also uh 
I really like that they got to then give a bunch of those characters a little bit of range to do interesting stuff. Mostly, I think like like it's uh, uh is it Mary Elizabeth Winstead? Is that her name? Who played Huntress? Oh in yeah, the, Huntress. Uh, uh, that was the most fun thing for me is like you could not have two more different versions of Huntress, but then both still feel like they exist spiritually within the world of DC because like the Ashley Scott version is very much that kind of like actiony, adventure like old school DC. But at the same time, like I kind of love that the Mary Livis Winstead is kind of playing it almost like she's a like JD Damasis, Keith Giffen, like Justice League International kind of version of a DC superhero, which is my favorite version of DC bar none outside of Vertigo. Mm -hmm. And so like getting those two different versions where it's like, oh, sort of like classic. And then this, it's like, oh, you're kind of taking like the two best parts of the DC universe. Like, I don't know. It's weird for me. DC makes me crazy because like they've got good stuff and they often make good product and yet somehow they can't make it click. Yeah, and they just can't figure out who to give their board games to because they keep giving it to terrible companies. Oh, do they have trash board games? Uh, specifically, their miniatures game is utter garbage. What makes a miniature game garbage? Just, 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 I'm curious. I'm fascinated by this. Uh, so it's, um, the miniature game has the issue of being one keyword soup. Uh, which is a term for if a card has a bunch of keywords that you have to reference back to the manual for. And um, and so you keep having to go like back to the manual rather than all the information being laid out on the character's card. Um, okay. And two, it's, it's in that place where it's too complex for its own good. It's trying to be yes. too realistic that it obfuscates the fun. I uh, I fully understand that. That is that is often my my fall off with some things. There is one of the board games. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how I keep board games out for a uh, Fourth of July, my Fourth <laughs> of July party. I do, and I, there is one game, and I do not even really know how I came to own it. That like myself, my girlfriend, and my girlfriend's sisters all sat down to attempt to learn it so we could play it, and it is so incomprehensible that we just never played it. Uh, which game? It's called like campy creatures mm. it's like a camping monsters in the woods kind of thing but like it's so weird and complicated that it was just like oh this seems fun but this just isn't gonna happen so i think we maybe went back and either played uno or guillotine my go-to's one of these years i'm going to be down there for fourth of july oh god yes and i'm going to sit down with that manual and you're figure gonna run it out. a literal table like man i would so thoroughly just like Oh, oh I'd, 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 I'd do your proper. I'd get you a full setup. It'd be fun. I may even bring board games of my own to introduce like people. A, like a vest and visor, like you're an old world, like like a you know, poker dealer. Mm -hmm. Well, the other option is I can just bring my pile of PDFs of role-playing games book and run, run an entire session that goes like six hours. See, but we try to keep the board game section so that it's looser games just because it makes people comfortable, but like yeah. they still will engage with the party. It's a real science to it. I... <laughs> I it is kind of sad, like, how how deeply I think about the concept of what makes a good party. <laughs> Though, have, do you know about, and this is, may just be something I will bring down whenever I come down, uh, the Battlestar Galactica board game. You know what? You're, like, the third person in, like, a month to bring this up to me. I clearly need to investigate this. Uh, I wish I was joking. Like, this keeps happening. <laughs> so, I own a copy. You will not want to invest into a copy because it's goddamn expensive at this point. Yes. Uh... Because it's two hundred and fifty dollars a box. 
Jesus Christ. Because uh, it's out of print. Mm. Um, they're doing a reskin of it coming up called The Indomitable with the HP Lovecraft brand. Mm. Well, I guess we can just paint them back to Battlestar. Mm-hmm. But I do have the core box of Battlestar Galactica. Damn, that rules. Uh-huh. Also, I have a bunch of the Arkham stuff because I'm a big uh, Arkham Files person. Oh, uh, okay. I, it, uh... They have made their own universe based on the HP Lovecraft stuff with, like, consistent characters across multiple different board games. Um, That also has managed to get rid of a lot of the really bad racism. It's, uh, yeah. That's uh, it's always it's weird, like you know, as somebody who was getting into writing horror fiction, uh, and I kind of started, you know, doing my deep dives into stuff and going, like, I gotta learn my stuff. It's always been fascinating to me because, like, I uh, I appreciate like H.P. Lovecraft, and like there is aspects of his stuff that I I find super compelling. But it's also strange to me. Not, I mean, it's not strange. People are very lazy, but like, there's so many other excellent writers within that world of weird fiction, mm-hmm. and it's always one of those things. I'm like, oh man, like I just don't want to deal with this and that. I'm like, yes, but there's better writers who are less racist. You're just lazy. Like, well, I don't, I don't read him. I just like the board games adapted from his stuff. What's weird is like there is stuff that is worth reading that is not as blindingly racist. The reason everybody gets bummed out is because Reanimator is his most racist story, which is why the movie's adaptation is great because they got rid of that and instead made it a fun, crazy splatter movie. But it's I feel like that's always it is people like, well if I'm gonna do like Reanimator is one of his like shorter shortest stories. Like so it's really impressive. It's very efficient in how racist it is that it's maybe his shortest story and yet somehow still the most racist. Well, it's, I have tried to read Lovecraft and went, oh my god, I can tell you are paid by the word. Yes, absolutely. But, uh, but you know, there's people like Clark Ashton Smith out there. Or even, like, the best Lovecraft story was written in 1960 by Robert E. Howard. Like, uh, and, and so it's always one of those things where I'm just like, you, if, you, if you're into it and you want to go full Del Toro, like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take some side streets here. So here's the thing about me. The things I actually read are books of academic essays. I don't actually read fiction anymore, other than fan fiction. <laughs> I uh, I am the problem is like I I love fiction and I love literature, but like you know I majored in creative writing. I almost ended up with a double major in literature. Like I <laughs> I am have a very intense passion for writing and and people's writings. The problem is I can enjoy nothing. Like I have zero I, I get zero pleasure out of any literature because it's such a between. Being a writer who thinks too much and being a fan of literature on a very like deep level, it's so hard for me to shut my brain off with that stuff. So if I'm going through, it's a real like I'm like mining for shit or I'm like looking for things or like kind of getting a sense of like voices and rhythms from different times in history or different stylistic choices or cultural like choices. Uh, more so than like enjoying a, like enjoying a good story is like never the part where I'm just like that was that's what I got out of this. So I'm very similar. Like, I need read you know, very much, you know, mostly uh, nonfiction stuff, mm-hmm. you know, for, for similar reasons. But periodically I'll, I'll dive into something just because I'm just like, I need, I need some of this. I also found like books on tapes are kind of good for that too. Yeah. Know? I just, I'm currently not in a state where I'm barely keeping up with the podcasts I listen to. So I don't have time for books on tape. Yeah. I'm see, I'm the opposite where I'm kind of at my leanest podcast diet that I've maybe ever had because I've really only got maybe like, three anchors which is odd so i've been feeling around some but so i've been digging into the audiobooks just because i'm short podcasts Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's like I have your podcast, which is consistently two to three hours, and then I keep up with Critically Acclaimed. Okay. Which puts out like six podcasts a week. Yep. It's uh for me it's it's uh blank check, giant bomb, and now like Next Lander has replaced Giant Beast, you know, mm-hmm. and then and those are kind of the three right now. I've been messing with John Gabris's show, High and Mighty, that's got some some good moments. Uh and then I'm trying to think like some you know, I, I'll periodically dip into to the Jim Hill Disney dish. Get mm-hmm. I get some fun fun Disneyland factoids uh, that I can then turn and tell my mom, and then the whole process is done. Uh, and then, but yeah, and so it's it's a uh, it's the audiobooks have been back in my purview again. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like we should we should I feel like I'm not doing justice to to a very very good show, so we yeah. should we should do some time on it. <laughs> yeah, but Boots of Play has like this really solid cast, like truly an incredible cast. Like it's wild. Mm-hmm. And and we haven't even talked about uh, Ian Abercrombie playing um, Alfred, man. Yeah, like that 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 like I remember even that because that that's pre Batman Begins. So this is the first Alfred we're seeing that is not from the the Burton Schumachers or the TV show. Yeah. So like I remember like you know just sort of my head exploding going like there's a new Alfred, mm-hmm. and we're going full spoilers here. Uh, oh yes! In the final episode with the shotgun. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That shit gets wild. That's a real like cliffhanger one. Like I remember being so hyped, and, like this show will definitely come back, and I cannot wait. They might put Batman in a TV show. Nope. Why do you think they'll ever do a Batman TV show? Uh they like thought a live of- action one. A full, just specifically Batman one, no, but they've they've evolved into Batman TV shows on a number of their other yeah, adaptations now. Got like this, and they've got Batwoman, and they've got all these pieces. Well, which they also well, got Go- Gotham. Gotham. I love Gotham. I'm sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to make that aggressive of a fart sound. <laughs> well, so my thing with Gotham is the first season is trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but starting in about season two, it becomes the most accurate representation for good and ill of what it's like to read weekly comic books. Yes. I think uh, it, it falls into the problem I have with, like, a chunk of, like, comic book media. And I think it's why I think the CW stuff is so cool. Is after being a kid who like would just chase down any shitty adaptation, you know, or, or alternate version, like I call it the mutant X problem. I don't even remember the syndicated Marvel shows, mutant X where like I would watch it, but I was like, why can't they just name them characters? Like, like why can't they make this a thing I care about slightly more? And the Batman thing to me is always like, I think birds of prey did a good shot because birds of prey gives reason for him not to be there. Whereas like Gotham, it's just like, you want to have all the parts except for the part that really ties it all together and makes it compelling? Mm-hmm. Well, and specifically with Birds of Play, the fact that he's not there is tying into the larger theme of legacy that they're having to tackle. Which I think is really cool. Like, mm-hmm. like I think it it very much, like, you feel that peppered through the Huntress character in, in this version in a way that I think they do a really good job with because I like that she is, uh, you know, confident, but always is a little bit behind that eight ball with the chip on her shoulder of like, it doesn't matter how excellent I am. I will never be goddamn Batman. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and at the same time, like gives her this like strange kind of like, you know, freedom at points in the show and, and the writers of the show freedom to kind of do interesting stuff with her that I think you can't do with 
you know, uh, a version of Batman because Batman's one of those weird characters like Spider-Man or Luke Skywalker that you can never really do something interesting with mm -hmm. because there's too much money in the game. Yeah. And it's why I'm actually really excited, going off on a tangent again, about the third season of Titans. Yes. Um, how... Titans is another show that, that I'm just like, how is this still on the air? Like, this is crazy. This is the show. Like, the part of me that just, like, always sees cool stuff get canceled is just like, man, Titans is, like, so earnest and so intense and so, like, everything that, like, the the you know, movies keep failing to kind of be. And it's just like, I can't believe this is on. It's just people just not know. Like, so if they find out, are we going to get in trouble? Well, it's, it's, they're doing the Red Hood storyline. So cool. And it's like, they have an actual Batman in this show of who's just like, I am too tired and done with this. You take over. Batman Beyond, baby. Yeah. Which, uh, did a re did a rewatch of that during quarantine. Ooh. And, uh, that show is a masterpiece. <laughs> I grew up on the Batman, which is like oh, the weirdest Batman adaptation. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of check. I saw, I didn't realize that made it onto HBO Max, so I'm considering giving that a watch because, like, I, you know, I bounce back and forth. Like, I like the animated series quite a bit, but like for me, like Batman Beyond is like truly like one of my favorite shows ever, and like really rediscovering that. I was like, damn, this didn't miss a step in the whole time. Uh, and but, but that one is the other one that I'm kind of curious about. Brave and Bold's really fun too, mm -hmm. but like that, the Batman looks so weird, and the art yeah. style is so interesting that I'm like, I bet there's something to this. It there definitely is something to it. It is weird and interesting. I I'm one of the few people who's strictly medium on the animated series. Mm. Um because it's basically anthology. And I'm oh, not an okay. anthology person. See, and I feel like I wasn't and now I kinda am. Like I've really come to appreciate like an anthology. Well, it's it's my thing with TV is I am constantly I like to see long term character growth and change. See, but I think you can do that in well, I guess not anthology, I mean more like like uh, you know, episodes that are self-contained yeah. to an episode. Because I think like I my least favorite thing is like the it's the the same thing that I don't like about TV is the same reason I stopped reading comics monthly, is like you kind of end up with no content. Like you'll uh, there the number of times I like read an issue or watch an episode of a show where I'm like, oh nothing happened. You just strung me along and wasted an hour of my time. Like, mm -hmm. like is is a thing that I get kind of bristly at. Mm-hmm. It's I you can definitely do it and I can point to a number of shows that can do it. It was the Batman the animated series was before they had figured out the formula of how to do that on TV. Yeah. Um because I think the first example well, of the one I really point to saying this is does it right is numbers. Interesting. Huh. I uh I don't know numbers well enough. Like, like that's a that 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 answered story took me back. So that's that's an interesting thing. I'm gonna have to go look at numbers and see see what they got going on there. But like, mm -hmm. I uh, yeah, that there's definitely and especially like watching like Star Trek and kind of appreciating like okay, like you can have character growth without, but also have like plots and reward the viewer for watching your show. Yeah, no, for sure. It's I grew up in the 2000s. Um, which is really why I think they nailed down that formula and it really became for popular sure. with like, and I think, I think of the two thousands, maybe the apex for some of it. And I think like literally like, I mean, cause the, I mean, the Sopranos is within that run, which to me is like mm -hmm. kind of the apex TV and that has self-contained episodes. The wire does, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, it's not until kind of, 
that post madman breaking bad where everybody kind of thought they had the formula for adult dramas figured out that kind of like they were like well we lost all that money on lost stuff so let's do some fake madmans and breaking bads where i think like they really picked up on like the worst habits of those two shows in like a very weird way yeah and then like you know there 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 are perhaps some shows that were that were really really bad about it at times that uh, that really were like well why don't you tune in next season to see what happens and the next season they're like well you'll have to watch this whole season to find out and then you watch the season they're like wait till next season and i'm just like this is a condo like this is you selling me a timeshare <laughs> yeah no i i'm not a big fan of those type of shows um but yeah, that that uh, that character growth over time thing, especially in genre television, I feel like was was really, you know, outside of soap operas was kind of killing the game on that long before Normie TV figured it out. Yeah. And I'm a big soap opera person. I I hit the other end of the spectrum where I'm watching TV shows where too much happens, not not too little. And it may be too much. <laughs> See, I prefer that. That's to me. That's a good time. Uh-huh. Uh I, uh, I am finishing up uh, the second story for issue three of Tales from an Analog Future right now. Yes. And it is so fucking complicated. <laughs> and like, it's like, I actually, I had to price out to see, I'm like, we're definitely ending up with extra pages on this goddamn issue because I cannot, can't cram all this into 12 pages. And and my thought was like, I could change things. But like, no, I feel like all of the moving parts are fun and necessary and make it interesting. So like, like I, anytime a show is just like, what if we just go for it and, and just trust that our audience is on board and down to go? And to me, that's what makes sci-fi and nerddom audiences fun is that, that they are, I feel like, more apt to be, or at least used to be. I don't know if it's the same anymore, but like used, you know, there were so few things, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, me diving into Bird of Prey being a great example. Where it's like, I don't fully understand what this concept is, but it's adjacent to the things I want. And so I'm going to give it a go. And then as it goes through, I'm just like, oh, this is a grand old time. Yeah. Quick question. How do you feel about Dinah instead of having Black Canary? I I think it works purely because of the episode that they did on it. Yes, agreed. But it's definitely kind of frustrating at times. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's also Rachel Scarnstone, so I can't be too mad at her considering oh yeah. she plays two characters that I love so much. I maintain, too, like, she is the reason that role works. Like, mm-hmm. like if, if it's just sort of like a like a, like a a pretty CW actor, I don't know that it works quite the same, you know, and doesn't have quite that charm. But she has such a vulnerability that, like, even though you're sitting there going, like, why can't you be a fireworks factory? <laughs> like, you're also like, but I'm emotionally invested in you because as an actor, you carry a good level of vulnerable empathy. And then she goes on to play a Valkyrie in a show about a bisexual succubus. I mean, that's just a good time. Yeah, it it's an amazing time. I love that show. Uh, can I tell you, like, the thing I remember the most about Birds of Prey, and it's kind of ridiculous? Hmm. The image that I remember most out of that show, and I suppose it is a, a tribute to the very specific age maybe I was in it, there is that episode where uh, Pro, uh, or Huntress and... and you know, uh, Jesse, the 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 cops from our Moore's character are stuck. They get locked in a sauna. Yep. And then like, and they just have to sort of like slowly strip down, and like like it just keeps getting like hotter and hotter temp and vibe. And like I, for whatever reason, anytime anybody brings up, even when you are like, do you want to do this episode? That image of like. Uh, Shamar Moore's like super ripped body and Ashley Scott in a bra is like something that 14 year old me's brain was like, we got to make sure we put this in like the keeper file. Uh huh. Yeah. Also, talking about costumes, the amount of midriff on this show. Oh, again, I'm, I'm a teen of the 2000s. So I'm just like, good, good. All of it. Yeah. 
no stomach shall be warm. <laughs> but like the outfit, like the 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 hunt with outfit with like the corset and the black trench coat, it's so ridiculous. But she does look cool. Like I it's know. very it's very underworld. Like like I feel like Kate, like fucking Ashley Scott walked so that Kate Beckinsale could run. When do we have our crossover comic? How is that not a thing? <laughs> Did you just make up a million dollar idea? Well, it's it's like it's just outfit looking. It's like her, uh, Kate Beckinsale from Underworld, and then much less quality of film, but I love them just as much. Uh, the Alice from uh the later Resident Evil movies. Yep, I'm gonna throw one more on there. Is oh shit, I just had it and it's gone now. Damn it. Because uh, the image of Alice. Oh, uh, uh, we were talking about it. It's one of uh, one of the, the uh, a good thing that you like recently. Um, son of a bitch. Uh, uh, damn you, Alice and the Resident Evil franchise for clearing my brain once more. <laughs> I love how that series just becomes Alice and Claire battle girlfriends for the last half of the series. Right? It's it's odd. Like I, you know, as a ho- long time I mean, hardcore Resident Evil fan, I got at best a super complicated relationship with those movies. Uh, but at the same time, like. I can appreciate separately from my love of Resident Evil how goddamn weird they are. And it like the third movie has like one of the indelible images in my mind, which is when the crows are attacking. Yes. And in, then in the third one. Yeah, and then in you the desert, yeah. And then she appears and the flamethrower morphing around the guy protecting the kid and then going up yeah. into the air. I can't be mad at that. Yeah. <laughs> um Speaking of Seattle, because we were talking about this before, Mike, um, in the Mopop, they have half of the suit that they used for Nemesis in the second movie. Ooh, so it just looks terrible. <laughs> you know what was the missed opportunity in, in that movie? And uh, I have a very distinct memory of when I saw that movie with my, my buddy. Shout out to Ryan Ahern, my movie friend from, from back in the day. Uh, we, like the the, the terminator like he, the the nemesis just becomes the terminator for the last third of that movie mm-hmm. and even falls into like a goo and the fact that it didn't give a thumbs up really feels like they <laughs> fucked up i feel like if that's if there's any example of why resident evil apocalypse is the worst of the resident evil movies it is that right there mm-hmm. that they're like we're too classy to have the nemesis give a thumbs up and i'm just like yeah. i don't think so you haven't brought wesker into these movies where you turn it into avant-garde art <laughs> Yes. And now I'm just thinking about the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Cause now that's another show. Like like that I would and that did that get two seasons? Two or did seasons. You just get the one. Okay, got two seasons. Cause like that that was another one that I looked at and I was like, this is this is a, a new generation's birds of prey. Yeah. No, it, it was that and Dollhouse were a new generation's birds of prey. Yes. I forgot about Dollhouse. Which Dollhouse I, is I like- now really weird. So, oh, Aaron Paul did two episodes of this. Really? Good for yeah. him. He played Jerry. Good old Jerry. Good old Jerry. Wait, was this an Aquaman TV show? Sorry, I jumped on the IMDb and then, oh no, it was a pilot that didn't go. Oh, the Aquaman pilot that was a spinoff of Smallville. Yes. Okay, uh-huh. I was unaware of this. I didn't, wait. man, Smallville's insane. Yeah. Um. They also have a tabletop role-playing game that's actually pretty good. Hmm. Yeah. I own you... the Smallville tabletop role-playing game. I'm uh, I'm flipping through these. Oh, you know what's the other one that I always forget is like Lois and Clark ran for forever. Yeah, like it's, it's weird that Superman has like a dynasty of television shows, 
but but again, but they won't throw throw the bats on. Mm-hmm. But it also makes me think like and and really they started doing this with with the CW shows and this the, again I think that that you know the Flash kicks this off to a certain extent and then this is kind of another at bat at that of like putting a second tier person on a show to me has always kind of made sense and like mm-hmm. you know Hunters being the perfect example uh you know of something like this and it's now, also crazy yeah and now we're getting like the Stargirl TV show yeah pretty dang solid like and like man the the I always want to call it Challengers of the Unknown, but it doesn't. Legends of Tomorrow, yes, uh, is like again, like what a weird miracle where they're just like we can just shoot out characters all the time. Like we can just continue to do that. The Atom is a television character, and we all deal with it. Like this is a wild west world we're in. Well, also like Legends of Tomorrow is like one of the gayest shows I've encountered. Hmm. Why like, would it not be? Why would you not be? Like they they have made explicit reference to Winona up in that TV show. That, thank you. Okay, that was what I was going to say. Winona Earp may be the best modern example of, like, the Corsity kind of Huntress outfit. Oh, yeah. I love Winona Earp. That is... Oh, I, it, it's hard want... for me because it, it's such a good show, but she will always be Mrs. McMurray to me. Uh-huh. So it's always a show where I'm watching it going, like, God, this is excellent, but why Mrs. McMurray needs to get home, especially because, because Winona Earp became a hit. They have to really, like, choose when they put mrs mcmurray into letter kenny yeah so it's very much this thing i'm just like oh they shot this part she's in it a bunch this must have been when winona Earp wasn't shooting mm-hmm. but i do love that they made that she did an entire season pregnant yes uh my girlfriend taylor and i are working our way through the nanny on hbo max it's been a goddamn <laughs> delight of a time great show truly maybe my favorite sitcom now uh mm-hmm. i want to do a whole parody documentary about the life of max shetfield because on the inside of the show he is the grumpy like like patriarch but if you look (laughs) from the outside he is an insane person because he's just like best friends with his butler and has these crazy kids and is just like has a weird sex relationship with his nanny and like all these weird things and it's just so he's like charlie wilson (laughs) uh and so it's been but uh but within that they had uh there was a point to this and then i went off on my ramble i apologize (laughs) no you're good this is content. You're, you're taking me further into the tangent. I was ready to be all on on board. Like this is uh, again not mad, but like I just was ready to go. We are talking uh, about TV. I am all tangents because TV is so interconnected to each other. It is very true. Um, see, oh, that's the other thing is like oh, and I didn't realize this. I just found a trivia thing, but that the Batgirl suit worn by Dina Meyer in the series is a repaint of the one worn by Alicia Silverstone in Batman and Robin. That's interesting to me because. So I got to like I love Batgirl. I I mm-hmm. Batgirl is one of my earliest crushes as a, as a young boy and it's like like Batgirl, April O'Neil and Janine. Uh mm-hmm. really haunting subset of the future. At least it wasn't RC from start uh, from Transformers. But anyways, uh <laughs> I uh uh you know I mean B- Batman and Robin is a movie and it is what it is, but like I always get a little bummed because like her costume is so kind of lame in those movies because it's just robin but a lady Mm -hmm. and they repaint it for dina meyer and like i'm kind of obsessed with that shot of her in the suit because like because it's dina meyer dresses batgirl Mm -hmm. but like just like it looks so good like they get the coloring right like she doesn't look stupid in it like and i just remember like that blew my mind watching it on tv i was like holy shit that lady looks like batgirl well and it also 
isn't this the first time that they've dealt with Barbara Gordon in a wheelchair in live they, action? They, they work the killing joke in. Like, that was another, it's a crazy thing. And it's, yeah. and it's fun because, like, that's one of the things I appreciate about uh, Birds of Prey as a concept is, like, having Oracle as a character means that, like, there is meaningful continuity within Batman, which is the thing that I am kind of obsessed with in DC continuity, especially Batman, is, like, most comic books, when, like, there's, like, a definitive run, it's like, oh, man, that was in, you know, Spider-Man 181 to 186 was this great, was, you know, Craven's Last Hunt. I'm making those numbers up. I apologize yeah. to your relationship. But, like, is Craven's Last Hunt, like, that's such a seminal story. Or, like, oh, man, like, these 12 issues were, like, maximum carnage. But, like, those came out of Spider-Man books. DC, I feel like very rarely are there seminal things, like, in regular books. You know, like, the big Batman things. I mean, like... Batman Year One came out as four issues, but like is not connected to the co continuity of Batman or Detective Comics that was happening at that time. Dark Knight doesn't exist that way. Mm -hmm. Killing Joke out is like the one of any of those things that actually gets worked into continuity, and I find mm -hmm. that to be sort of a weird, interesting thing with DC on the whole. It started to change. I think like the Mark Wade's Flash, I think, did a lot for like making sort of a more traditional comic type narrative thing. But it's it's very weird, you know the the bat, you know Batman especially, like not a lot of in book in full tilt continuity stuff, you mm -hmm. know, exists. You know, like the the Batman book they send to people is one that's like a what happens after Batman. Yeah, and like other examples of those like outside of the box, I I also think of Kingdom Come. Yes, uh, very much so. Uh, and, and that, you know, and that coming from the ashes of, uh, of, you know, is it Twilight of the Superheroes, the, the Alan Moore pitch that they didn't go with that is, again, I don't think, I genuinely don't think Kingdom Come is a ripoff of it, but I do think that it's like, you know, you definitely see that like the idea is clearly in the air and, mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, Mark Wade versus, is it, is it, is it Kurt Busiek writing it with him? Did he do Marvel's End Kingdom Come with Alex Ross? I don't know. But like. Uh, it, you know, but it's definitely one of those things where, like, you know, Kingdom Come, you know, definitely reads like it's it's what if somebody did like a cover song of Alan Moore in the vein of Marvel's. But I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it does an excellent job threading those into something interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think like, you know, I'm not the biggest Alex Ross fan. I I like Kingdom Come. I like Marvel's. I fucking hate the Earth X books. I think they are kind of incomprehensible. But like, I almost feel like you know. Kingdom Come is another like great example of that where you're just seeing this vision of the DC universe. I mean, it's also like even with Batman, like Red Sun and All-Star Superman are Elseworld stories. Mm -hmm. It's know. like if we're talking about big like in-universe events that like carry forward, I think the only one other than Killing Joke that I can really think of is Blackest Night. Yes, absolutely. Which you know, is but, like, amazing. You know, even like Nightfall's kind of a little out of continuity at this point. Like, you're not hearing a lot of people talking about Azazel anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even and, though he shows up in the Arkham games, I think it's why I kind of, even though they are aggressively imperfect, like like the Grant Morrison Batman run, is that like for the love of God, he's trying to tie it all together, mm -hmm. and like, you know, it that that stuff is a little messy at times, but I think it's also like kind of compelling because like Batman continuity is messy, so it feels like it's kind of like fitting within like the larger meta of what it's playing. Yeah, and now DC is just insane, and I kind of appreciate it. 
Yeah, it's fun. Uh, there, it's uh, it just seems like chaos over there. DC, as I always say, hire me and my friend Robert on to just like work for DC for a while. I think we can turn this shit around. Well, it's it's they're actually trying to move their meta plot forward right now. But it's weird because if you don't have a meta plot to start at, that's the problem every time they fucking reboot. Like it's why Fifty Two and Rebirth were weird. Is like you have to like pick a starting point and then jump. Like it's yeah. it's kill like. And just like, just make them fun books, you know. Well, like it's. I jumped in on Fifty Two. That's how I got in on comics with the new Fifty Two. Really? Yeah. God, we are. It's funny. We are legitimately just like at exactly like one generation apart. Because mine was the Ultimate Universe. Like that's mm -hmm. what brought me into comics. Was like the Ultimate Universe, and like Fifty Two is like almost that perfect kind of allegory or, <laughs> or analog to like the next generation. Yeah, but it's like I was reading Justice League Dark and Voodoo and I, uh, I Vampire. I Zombie, right? Or no, American I Vampire. Vampire. I Zombie was a, is a different comic book run, not by DC. That got turned into a great TV show that stars a former Power I, Ranger. I'm pretty sure uh, I Vampire is a Vertigo book. Uh, but they, but it was. I mean, or, that I, or I Zombie. I mean, I Zombie oh. was a Vertigo book. Okay, I can't remember. It wasn't part of the New Fifty Two. That's all I know. I know my vertigos. Uh, oh my god! But like, it was such a weird run of stuff. Um, and I enjoyed Justice. The thing that kept me in it was Justice League Dark. Justice League Dark. Just, it's funny because like I do not have good like because I was working meltdown when New Fifty Two was going. I believe I was at a New Fifty Two launch party of some kind. <laughs> but I just remember that like there were three books that everybody liked, and it was like, or I guess. You know, but like I remember, like that was my first taste of Jeff Lemire with his Animal Man run. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe Fifty Two is happening is like happens to be when Court of Owls is happening, but yep. I don't think they're like directly connected. And then and then you had Justice League Dark, and I remember like looking at those and going like, man, this is it is wild that like of all the things they have done, these are the three books that that are like the the three everyone's talking about. Mm -hmm. But like, and then the we both Justice League Dark is also amazing. Oh, I haven't read any of that. Uh, it's Zantana and Wonder Woman, uh, and Man Bat. What's dark about Wonder Woman exactly? It's it's she is the. It's like we need an actual Justice League member on this team because we're financing it. So have Wonder Woman, it's, and then uh, they tie it into the plot line. Yeah. Um, it's 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 one of those ones because it's very similar. Like, I, like I've said, like the Justice League International, like Giffen and Dematis, uh, is like one of my favorite comic book runs of all time. Mm -hmm. Like it is, it is such a massive influence on my writing and my sense of humor as a writer. <laughs> and it's fun because like they have to keep Batman in the book because it's a bunch of schmoes and Batman. And like the whole thing is that like this is the chunk of time where it's like, yeah, we're in the Justice League because we all would love to get paid and get a little bit of a higher profile in the superheroing world. So it's like Black Canary, Guy Gardner, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold. Martian Manhunter and and Shazam and I just love that like it's all people who like do not get along like it's kind of more like it's like the office but with superhero shit <laughs> and like it always felt like that would be like a fun way to go with a lot of these but they kept putting in Batman because they needed somebody to be like the money character who periodically pops in and shows up and I love that even the way they work it is like Batman is just like a frowny bully mm -hmm. But, like, in this Justice League Dark run, they end up tying in Hectate, which is one of the Greek gods they hadn't touched yet, who's the god of magic. Hmm. And that's how they really rope Wonder Woman into, like, the larger meta plot of this thing. But it's, like, the team is Doctor Fate, Zantana, 
uh, Man Bat, Wonder Woman, and um, I'm forgetting the last one. Um, because Constantine comes in and out, and it's just his douchebag self. Swamp Thing comes in and out, and it's just I love him. Swamp Thing, but it's like it's a great My book. Boys. I'll have to check that out because I, I I definitely like kind of ducked out for Rebirth and so <laughs> so don't know much of what's going on there and that that does feel like it'll entice me. Big uh, man, we need a Zantana show, a Zantana yes. show so goddamn bad. Like what a what a gift that would be. I feel like that's maybe because I didn't know her at the time. Like I was still relatively new to comics when this show is out. But like man, a Zantana episode of this would have been straight fire. Yeah. Well, I know she showed up in Smallville. Yes. Okay. Man, am I gonna end up having to watch Smallville? It's not worth it. Sadly, I have tried. I, like, I feel because like I know it's it won't be my jam, mm-hmm. but like, and I'm not a big Superman guy, so there's not a ton out there outside of like I don't know. I'm not mad at Tom Welling, so I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but like, I I I hate that there's like so many weird things about it. Mm-hmm. That like I just look at and go like I want to know more about this, but I don't know if I'm willing to do like 25 hour long, 22 episode seasons of a show so that I can have the context for their weird version of Guy Gardner. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm loving uh, the Stargirl show because it's it's a lot of those C and D list characters because um, it's all Justice Society people. Are they? utilizing stuff in the Stargirl stuff from the old Starman plot lines as well, too? Well, it's it's literally Starman's dead. And okay. this is the next... Uh, the entire Justice Society is dead, and it's the next generation picking up the mantles. Okay. So, it's, okay, it's different than the thing I'm thinking of then, but yeah. that, that sounds legit. Like, the there's that Starman run from, like, the 2000s, or maybe even, like, the late 90s that is... Again, like a weird to me, like a very like found money book. Like it's just like nobody people sort of sleep on it, and it's like really, really good. It's sort of like it's what I want Mage to be every time I read the comic. Mage is I'm just like this is cool. I realize that Starman is what I actually want. Yeah, but it's like, not that Mage is bad, but it's just like the other one just sort of hits. It's uh, it's the closest I feel like I've seen to a book having that like old school Neil Gaiman vibe that isn't by Neil Gaiman. But it's like the cast is like Stargirl, Wildcat, Our Man. Hell yeah. Like stuff like that. And they're adding Jade in season two. Have they, sidebar from our sidebar, have they put Matter Eater Lad into anything on the CW yet? I'm looking at you, Legends of Tomorrow. I don't know because I don't keep up with all of them. Maybe my favorite, like, like, uh, cause he's from Legion of Superheroes and like, which I, I had a brief stint with in high school, like, uh, like reading the great darkness saga and stuff. And I just remember like looking at it going like, man, matter eater lad is, is, should be a band, should be a TV show. I just feel like matter eater lad is a brat brand that has no end. Like, like <laughs> what a, what a good, insane name that just keeps getting more. It's, it's. You know, like when you say the Beatles or Led Zeppelin, eventually it just becomes an innocuous term that you associate with the band and not the term of what it actually is. Mm-hmm. I feel like like you will never get that way with with uh, with that. Okay, there there is a different kind. Of, we're going sidebar on sidebar on sidebar. We're um, now, the van is now falling out of the bridge, and then we've made it through the spinning hallway, and we are now in the ice space. Yes. Um. Do you know about Blossom Six Six Six? Is it? Uh, is it a Cheryl Blossom spinoff? So the Archie Horror brand. Okay, did, so it is off Cheryl Blossom. Yes. Did okay. a did a comic book, which 
the thing I thought about is because it's another comic book name that sounds like a bland band. Um, okay. It's Chill Blossom and her brother who dies in the first episode of Riverdale. Yeah. Uh, competing to see who becomes the Antichrist. Yep, there we go. And that's it. Huh. <laughs> that's the comic book for six issues, and it's amazing. It's uh, I keep waiting to see, and I bet they've already done it, and I just haven't seen it. But like, I am always curious if like Riverdale's is gonna have the balls to do within Cheryl Blossom a a cherry pop tart reference. I'm not sure if you're aware of this that there is a uh, long running porn parody, a uh, comic book porn parody of Cheryl Blossom called Cherry Pop Tart. Mm. And like, I feel like that that. If your listeners know, tweet at me at Kyle Clark's Rat and send me the clip if they do a Cherry Pop Tart reference in anything Riverdale or or Cheryl Blossom related because it feels like it must have been addressed, but I don't know. Well, I do love that they well, have made once Eddie and Veronica bought Predator. I'm like Archie can do anything. <laughs> uh huh. I love that they I the them making show gay. I think was one of like the most interesting moves that show made. Oh, absolutely. But also, I think every move that show makes is the most interesting move. <laughs> yeah, like their their uh, evil version of D and D called Griffins and Gargoyles. Like that is just a show that is so confident. It is just popping wheelies left and right, going like, "Look, I dare you to question us." Well, which not is... since American Horror Story have I seen a show so confident in its madness, and this show's great. And I that makes me more excited because. Uh... Some of that group of people are working on the Powerpuff Girls reboot. Ooh, ooh, that'll be good. Which is going to be fucking insane. Yeah, I feel like society maybe isn't ready. It's going to be an interesting <laughs> adventure. Yeah. Um, have you been able to find a list of the episodes? Because I'm trying to yes. like scrooge through to find like is it's it on, on the, the Wikipedia. Wiki? Okay, I will. I will navigate over there because mm-hmm. that's that's. I wanted to sort of touch on and refresh on some of the episodes because I know there's a couple of standouts. I mean, the pilot and the last episode are both crazy strong. Yeah, um, I love the, the pilot to this show. Yeah, and then they have Slick, which is the episode you're thinking about with the uh, sauna scene. Yes, uh, because uh, wow. Slick is made out of water, and so they had to hide in the yes! sauna. That's it. Uh-huh. It also includes the scene of him appearing in Harley Quinn shower. Yes. Okay. Man, <laughs> Which I is the indelible image that. in my head. That uh, it's funny that I'm now looking at it. That's episode two, and I yeah. love that it's very much like like for 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 everybody it was like this one's living in the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, and then Prairie Reese. Cla- Man, the Helen and Reese stuff also is very like mid two thousands television. Oh yeah. The well on opposite sides of the love, but we kind of like each other because we're both extremely sexy. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's so real. Uh, okay, Three Birds and a Baby. Now I two. I remember that one. That was a uh, weird episode. Yes, that was that was a real like ooh four in and we're getting a little rocky. But that's that's some real like TV of the time. Yeah, it's wild like thinking about that. This is uh uh. You know, it's 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 weird, like two thousand two to two thousand three. Like it's a very like specific time too. Like it's mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, nerd stuff is on the rise. Nine eleven is fresh in everybody's brain. Like I feel like there's a very much a like, you know, it's it's you know, the longer I live, the more I'm sort of like fascinated watching like the collective unconsciouses through media over time. Oh yeah, no, I studied that in school, just specifically around war. Um, but it's like Dinah's mother was Lori Laughlin. Yeah. But it's like, 
this is in the wave of post Buffy. Yes. Yes, and it's funny. Like that's the part that I always forget about because I I am not a Buffy person, but I forget that like that is like maybe the single biggest influence on on television through the two thousands. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like so it's it's like Buffy and Angel happened, and then you have like Birds of Play, Painkiller Jane, which is a weird ass show. I forgot about Cleopatra twenty twenty five. Oh or whatever. god, that show is messy. That... It's a show that goes, we're not seedy as long as VIP is in syndication. <laughs> <laughs> if that's every time I would see that show as a teen, I was like, this is this is how this show succeeds. It can be this weird, like, softcore Russ Meyer TV show so long as VIP is a show. As long as Trash Charlie's Angels is on the air, they're not the most unseemly ladies action show. <laughs> All things I gave a shot to because I was hoping they'd fill that Xena hole and they never did. Well, I was just about to bring up Xena because it's, it is uh, Xena and Buffy. Yep. I'll be really? praised to our Lord and Savior, Lucy Lawless. Mm-hmm. Which also, like, they, because both of those shows were teen television. Um, Teen targeted television. And they really- I, formed... I don't know if I would count Xena as teen television. I feel like that was more like that weird genre that doesn't exist anymore of the like the Star Trek. Like, this is for all who are interested. Yeah, it's... Xena's a little bit more nebulous, but it certainly had a strong female-fronted oh, teenage fan base. Were you saying teen gay girls were like, this show speaks to me for some reason? Yes, of course. And, and I don't know why I said in that weird order of teen gay girls. Like... <laughs> You mean lesbians. That's the ones. And they were just like that. Gabrielle and Xena seem to have such a lovely relationship, but it might be different than I thought it was. And I might be different as I thought I was. Well, I love the thespians joke. Ah, I forgot uh, about that. Yeah. <laughs> Man, what a great show. Um, But like those led into because the thing that first got me really interested in TV as an art form in the collective unconscious was noticing that there was a big difference in representation between teen-focused television and adult-focused television. Oh, interesting. Because I got super into Pretty Little Liars, Vampire Diaries, Teen Wolf, which the Teen Wolf TV show I will fight people about. It's great. I'm a big fan of the movie. Yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of the movie and Teen Wolf 2. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the-, the Jason Bateman boxing werewolf comedy. <laughs> Those were before my time. Uh, it it's uh, I mean Teen Wolf is legitimately and I know it's 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 I hate that it's become a real like hipster reference point uh, mm-hmm. but like yeah that is that is a movie absolutely worth watching because it is bananas and then two is wild just because it is the level of crappy the first one should be but is also still weirdly compelling where you're like why is a werewolf doing sports always kind of interesting mm-hmm. but getting back to my point it was like you had because for as good as they were. Uh, for the most part, Xena and Buffy were very white. Yeah. And But they had that little gay twinge on them that carried over into the next generation of shows that also really started pushing racial diversity. Well, it's, well, it's after that the big kick open is the OC. And yeah. I feel like the OC is one of those things. Because, again, a show I hated when it was on TV. And now, I'm not a fan, but I find the cultural legacy of that show so fucking interesting and really have to appreciate like it for a thing that no one talks about anymore really kind of changed 
primetime television and kind of to me like to your point like pushed everything a little close to everything's like we should just go full teen because i feel like the back end of the 2000s is just going like we will extract every dollar out of every person aged 16 to 29 in this country if it kills us well and it's like uh, it wasn't just the OC because it's you had One Tree Hill, Dawson's Creek, and the OC right next to each other. Oh no 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 no! You see, this is this is a thing. You're you're cooking some things together. Those shows are much further apart than you think. Dawson's Creek is a good, you know, six seven years. It's been off the air for like three years, but before the OC is a twinkle in anyone's eye. And then Pretty Little Liars, I think, is a few years after the OC is done. So those uh, are all natural. No, uh... Pretty Little Liars, I know, is uh, One Tree Hill was what I said. Well, that's what I meant. Oh, yeah, and then One Tree Hill, but One Tree Hill also exists as literally, like, like it is, like, you like the OC? Would you like something that is similar but shitty? Um, And then I, rapidly after... Like, oh, yeah, with the, yeah, sorry, go ahead. And then rapidly after the OC finished up, we have Gossip Girl. Yes, and and then, and and more than Gossip Girl, I think that uh, fucking uh, uh, Gilmore Girls to me is the next one after the OC. That's sort of an atom bomb to like television. Well, it's I think the two different atom bombs in two different directions. Uh, cause Gossip Girl was the point where they realized they could be super trashy and get a lot of viewers, and it was really the spark of fandom culture online. Um, specifically in, like, while while it was accumulating in, like, Buffy and Angel and their ship wars and stuff like that, it really took to the forefront and, especially around social media, because it was actually, like, along the rise of Twitter was the, like, experience of Gossip Girl, and they were the ones that made online engagement through things like social media, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, really a big part of their show. Yes. Although, uh, I am. I, it's fascinating because that's that totally puts Gossip Girl in in context for me in an interesting way because it is the show that busts open with like a social media fandom because before that it was so built around message boards. Yeah. You know, and and that kind of fandom. You know, mm-hmm. and like the idea of like fan commentary. You know, being the crazy fan of The Simpsons, like that was such a huge thing for that show. Was really kind of like paying attention to fan reaction and stuff like that. And I think that like. That's what made a show like Buffy such a thing is that like they, you know, they didn't, you know, give into every like whim that a fan base has. Like to me, like that's that kind of like post Twilight world. But like in this world of stuff, like it was one of the first shows that engaged with its like audience since Star Trek in a way that has like a relationship that is like a give and take in a weird way. Oh, yeah. Um. Though there are still the dissertations that nobody listened to about Buffy and Faith and all the allegory there that they completely missed. Yeah, that 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 shit's a whole different game. To me, I play the meta game. When we get into that, then we have to start dealing with me talking about Joss Whedon's writing, and you don't want to have that talk. Well, and then we have the Joss Whedon allegations that came out that we don't want to have yeah, that talk. But you misunderstand. Like, well, that's awful. Uh, uh, I also uh, hated everything he did before that when people liked him as well. So it's a real, like, I'm just like, that's shitty too, but also I hate his work. Except Firefly. Have you gone back and rewatched Firefly recently? It's no, does uh, not I, age. I I would 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 wager that is accurate. I have a stand up bit that I think when I start getting out, I will start trying to do some more. It's the most nerd specific bit I have, 
that is about Firefly fans versus Battlestar Galactica fans. And and it's, you know, that the Firefly people just never got over that girl they made out with on vacation when they were 12. Mm-hmm. Like, it's great. And it's a memory you should cherish. But also, like, you got to move on. It was 13 episodes. Whereas Battlestar, it was four years of your life you'll never get back. And you've loved it. And you hated it. And you changed you as a person. Battlestar, I have an interesting relationship with because I was watching it when I was a kid. When it was mm. airing, and you got to the episode where Starbuck had to cut the brain out of the Cylon to fly the ship back, mm. and that traumatized me. Interesting. And that's just... the point where my relationship with Battlestar Galactica stops until we get to the board game. Ah, See, that's a, that's a show that hit me at a time where I, I needed a thing like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, had, I my, shout out to my friend Brandon Flick, who has always been been uh, real good at turning me on to, like, cool stuff. And, uh, like, he is the friend that got me back-to-back into back, – well, I guess not back-to-back. It was a little bit apart. But Battlestar Galactica and uh, and Neon Genesis Evangelion and uh. Persona. Like, there's one person who hit me to all three of those things. So it's like a lot of my modern brain is built around things he turned me on to. I know you've brought it up, but have you gone into Doganwopa yet? No, not yet. It's uh, uh, when it comes out for Switch, I'm going to pick it up. Okay. Because that one very much feels in the milieu of oh, kind absolutely. of... Oh, yeah. it's Yeah. Uh, it's one that I know I will dig, but it's it's I have never seen a game that I am more like, what a Switch-ass Switch game for me to buy. <laughs> oh, we are doing this the day the Steam Deck was announced, and I do have the problem if I keep looking at my Switch going like, you're old now. <laughs> And I'm looking at going like, wow, what a bad business idea. I beg to differ. I think it's such a smart move because it does not bite into any of their other apples. It just gets people like me to spend money on Steam who wouldn't otherwise. Okay, fair. Like it's it's I f- it's it's for people who are never gonna be PC gamers like me to mm-hmm. play Steam, and for people who already have a killer computer, but when they travel, have something that they can now take and still play their shit. Like mm-hmm. I think it's such a smart move. Yeah. I, I haven't dug into everything because I've been up for three hours at this point. Oh, dear God. Um, I didn't know it existed. My brother mentioned something to me, and I looked through it, and I was just sort of like, God, this is smart. Like, they, they figured out the angle on this. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, you're not dipping in your money. You're just giving other people options to give you money. Yeah. And it's it's – there's a lot of really interesting games out there that kind of fit oh, yeah. in that milieu. Well, I own hundreds of Steam games between Humble Bundle and sales and just, oh, yeah. like, trying to support, you know, indie games and stuff like that. Like, I own so many things, but, like, I, A, like, don't computer game because, like, the reason I, I play consoles is because it's after doing podcasts and audio editing and writing and video editing, you know, and doing all the stuff I do on the computer. The last thing I want to do is, like, ah, it's playtime. Let me continue to sit in this chair. Mm-hmm. And so, like, making that jump, but, like, with something like that, I'm like, oh, shit, like, I can play Nuclear Throne in an environment where I'll be, like, chilling. Now, that is for Switch as well, but it's a bad mm-hmm. example. But, like, but also, like, uh, it finally deals with my problem of, like, when they, you know, I'm a Mac user. And so when they did the upgrade and killed 32-bit architecture, you can't play a single uh, uh, Valve game except for Anthem uh mm-hmm. on on the the thing and so i'm just like oh bummer uh, my constant playing of left for dead solo when i'm depressed is uh no longer an option mm-hmm. uh and so it was kind of exciting to see that and just go like oh my god like it's i i'll buy this just to play portal and left for dead very fair um but like one that i've been playing a lot recently um that kind of vibes with this but it's kind of different um and i'm playing it because 
uh, on the This Is Why It's Over, they have a monthly video game book club. Oh, yes. Uh, and this week we're doing simulator games. Um, so I am playing Cultist Simulator a lot recently. Oh, interesting. Which is How a, do you like it? I love that game. I have almost picked it up before. I find it looks fun. Mm-hmm. It is such a fascinating case of abstraction to me. Yeah. Um, but we are way off target again. Let's see. We get the new things, new Gotham. Oh, I forgot that we were dealing with new Gotham, too, yeah. which is fun. Like a fun, lightly unnecessary, but still fun, fun detail that they go with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then episode five is the one where they have Black Canary come in. And it's probably, I think, the best written episode of that yeah, show. I fully agree. It's uh, I think that the the finale is a little more exciting, but like I think five is probably the best episode of the run. Mm-hmm. Um, and then oh, we I have they did a fucking high school reunion episode. <laughs> it's still like a real like TV ass TV show sometimes. <laughs> yeah, um, but. I want to touch on Primal Scream a little bit because that is um because it's it's the episode where they're directly confronting Barbara's uh disabledness the most. Yeah. Um cuz she walks out of school and one of the other teachers there she's kind of having a thing with and this is the episode dealing with her intimacy how how intimacy works with disabled people and how his like family views her and stuff. They also have that great exchange about Shakespeare plays. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a really that's a solid episode. And again, I think that's a really, you know, a real fun showcase for for Dina Meyer to mm-hmm. to you know, show that like she does have a lot of range and she can do a lot of stuff. You know, she is so often in kind of big, dumb, crazy movies. You know, uh, like I mean, Starship Troopers being the apex, mm-hmm. but like even within Starship Troopers, like she does carry maybe 5% more emotional weight than everybody else in that movie. And I think it's like really one of the successes of that movie is like every other character is largely a propaganda piece, but they like let Diz have just a smidge more so that when she dies, it works for the propaganda stuff, but also like gives you a little bit more of an emotional anchor, you know, mm-hmm. beyond just, just Johnny's handsomeness. Yeah. And I also want to point out that the high school reunion episode is also the one where they're dealing with Lady Shiva. Yes. It's uh what a what a wild ride that is. Uh-huh. And then they also do a couple episodes later they do the Underground Fight Club episode. It was that Gladiatrix? Yeah. Yeah, that's I forgot about that one. That one's that's a pretty good one. That that's like the closest they get to like a Star Trek episode. <laughs> like I w- I wish this show ran for like 5 years cuz we would have gotten such good weird episodes out of something like this. You look back at goddamn Lois and Clark. <laughs> and how weird they when they have like Sherman Helmsley playing the toy maker in a Christmas episode, you're just like, what the fuck is this? And like I just feel like that that's the tragedy of the show is like we missed out on so much good, weird, deep cut DC female fronted TV action weirdness that like the world needs. And I also want to point out uh that in the final episode, uh the fight music was all the things she said by Tatu. Oh, man, that's such a, like, time period. It's like a moment. Like, there's one second in time where that's a thing, and it was this exact moment. 
unless you're gay, and then that song has a whole lot of oh, relevance to you all the oh, time. for sure. But I mean, like, back in the day when that song was new, and it was just like, we just had 9-11. Let's let these fun girls kiss for a while until we feel better. It is also the first number one Russian song on the U.S. charts. Just a testament to the legacy they'd continue. Yeah. Also, both of those people are... Uh, like, we like this so much, we're all going to watch Nightwatch. <laughs> but also, like, oh my god, that those two singers are a mess. I, I can't imagine. Wait, those Russian pop stars who are built around, like, a kind of weird, gross, like, sexy selling point have problems. Uh, one of them is straight. And it's okay. probably it's, it's the better of the two. And the other one is bisexual, but has stated she would not accept her son as gay. Weird. Well, Russia's a complicated place. Yes. And we've gotten way better gay music since then. Agreed. And better weird Russian projects. I mean, after Pussy Riot, we don't need tattoo anymore. <laughs> yeah, and after Haley Kiyoko, we don't need tattoo anymore. I need to send you my favorite Russian thing, though, which is a rapper named Il Mitch, who just raps in broken English about how much he likes to skateboard and how often he gets a boner. It's a good time. Okay, my favorite Russian thing, and this is something that came up in my playwriting class, the final day of the class, a teacher pulled up a Russian production of The Hobbit. A Russian stage oh, production of The shit. Hobbit. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And there's nothing that will make you live more than a heavily Russian guy going, Bill Bill Beckins. Oh my god, I want this. Uh, can I give you a fun Batman side thing? As long as we're talking about like weird plays. Yeah. Uh, my brother was, uh, when he was in college, wrote a bunch of one-act plays that would get staged. And they'd be these like, little one-act play festivals. And you know, I'd mm -hmm. go out to see my brother's plays and stuff like that. Oh no, this was before my brother. This was a friend of mine. She wrote, uh, we had written a play scene together for a Shakespeare festival. We did like a remake of Much Do About Nothing as a teen comedy. Yes, and I remember you guys talking about oh, this on yeah. an episode. And uh, and she ended, oh, because she was on an episode. I forgot that she was on Rad. Uh, mm -hmm. One of my favorite people, Katie Pow. But she wrote either a sequel or more or another piece. So I went to go see her add on to, to what I had you know written that we had done. And within that play night was a Batman play. And it was, I remember like Robin gets killed in it and it ends with like the Joker laying in jail and well, Batman talks. And so they had to build a little jail cell. And it was like a guy in a Batman Halloween costume and like a guy in like pre Heath Ledger Joker makeup. It was a real, like that was a, that was a fun, insane thing. Mm-hmm. I just remember from my playwriting class, we had the Brodacy, which really dates my playwriting class. Hmm, it does. Um, and then we all, we got to buy tickets to Whose Line Is It Anyway from the teacher. Oh, that's fun. So, uh, I have seen Whose Line Is It Anyway live twice. Burnside would be so jealous. I love that show. I even love the reboot of that show. The Aisha Tyler one was great. Yeah, it's still going. Is it? Yeah. Wow. It's the off-season show. That's uh, that's right up there with, like, America's Funniest Home Videos, where it's a thing that has, like, been rebooted and been back for, like, almost a decade. And I'm just like, oh, good for that. I had no idea. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's the – that and Penn and Teller Fool Us are there, like, we don't have any actual primetime TV right now, so we're, this is our off-season shows on the CW. Um. Oh, sorry. I'm looking at the thing real quick here. Uh, is because I think it's the only one that comes like this. Is we do get 
a little bit of Clayface yeah. in the in the mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Who like I feel like the nineties and the animated series, like really like Clayface should be sending a fruit basket to Paul Dini because like there's such a like element of like there's there's you know, Clayface was such a dorky character for so long and then they're like, Well what if we make him terrifying? Like, oh now it works. Yeah. Um They gotta get him out of the space suit. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we have the finale, which is the big fight down with Holly Quinn. Ah, yes. Good one. Um, which, they gave her hypnotism powers? Yeah, which is odd, but, like, what you gonna do? It's, yeah. This show does have a little bit of the, like, it's everybody's kid. Like, which, like, even the, like, the Clayface one, like, like you know, it's it's Clayface's son turning people to stone. And like it, uh, it does again. It feels like such that hallmark of like a nerd time pass, where it's like we can't be putting the real ones on there, so put like their kid in instead. Mm-hmm. And and now it now we uh now we have the we have some of these institutions going on long enough on teen television that they have to do everybody's kid as a separate TV show because everyone's too old now. Yeah, uh, I'm looking yeah. at you, Vampire Diaries. I think Vampire Diaries is one of those ones where, like, they never thought that this would go as far as it did. Like, I feel like they're just a real, like, I don't know. We had, like, 20 episodes in mind. And they have collectively done 16 seasons of TV at this point. Yeah. It's, it's it's the new Supernatural. Like, it's a thing that, that if you found out it was still in, you're like, really? That's crazy. Well, so, original Vampire Diaries is done. Uh, and the spinoff, the originals, which was Vampire Gangsters in New Orleans, is done. Uh, that was it. What was that called? Uh, that was called the originals. Oh, I didn't know that was a spinoff of Vampire Diaries. Yes, so it's in the Vampire Diaries mythology. There are original vampires who are like the progenitor of all the lines because their mother in Viking times tried to find an immortality spell. Um, and if one of the originals dies, every vampire they ever sired all the way down the lineage tree dies as well. Oh dang! Um, and so this is about uh, all of the at this point living originals going back to New Orleans, a city they helped build, um, and finding that someone they thought dead is now ruling over it, and so there's a petty war about it, and it's them basically being vampire gangsters in New Orleans for five seasons. Hmm. I mean, that's just a good time. And then now they have legacies, which is. Uh, the kids of the characters from Vampire Diaries and the kids of the characters from the originals, at least some of them, are living together in a supernatural boarding school. I think that's. I think that's just. That's just good television. Yes. Which. It's it's really Vampire Diaries is a really interesting litmus test because it spans so many years that you can really see the evolution of diversity in their character choices as it goes on. Yeah. Because it starts in, like, 2011, I think. Maybe yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I think it's 2011, because it's definitely, like, it's it's early enough that it's, no. like, they just rode... Wait, was it 2009? 2009. Okay. I knew it was somewhere in that window of my last years. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's it's... You had the second wave of big teen television with Vampire Diaries... Pretty Little Liars, and Teen Wolf, which all ran for a good chunk of time 
alongside each other and then you also had other interesting oddities like the secret circle and the scream tv show happening in that time frame as well yeah that's a good time which like the scream tv show is better than it has any right to be yeah it's it's uh like i would not say that i like it or that it's good but it is absolutely better than it should it's better than most of the scream sequels <laughs> which is not saying much Yes, it's 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 faint praise, but like it, it I think it like it handily beats four and three, and probably is better than two if I watch both back to back. That's an ongoing bit on everything is scary. Is like Jen has talked about, like we should do the scream movies. I'm like, no, there is only one scream movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, and now you're looking at this. We have this new generation of teen television coming out right now with like the Gossip Girl reboot, which is a fascinating piece. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's one of those things like it's so not in my world, but it's around because I'm I watch so much on HBO Max that I'm just like, man, this is wild. Mm-hmm. Good for them. And then you have the Nancy Drew TV show, and you have Riverdale, and you have Motherland Fort Salem, which is a batshit insane show. Is that a spinoff of Salem? No, uh, okay. Motherland Fort Salem is in the Salem Witch Trials. The witches struck a deal with the U.S. government to become part of the military, and now it's modern day oh, military boot camp for witches in the War on Terror. That's fantastic. That's so good. <laughs> and they don't pull punches. But it's like, oh, how, how would one pull a punch on that show? Uh. Not having your opening scene being a witch doing a mass murder spell in a U.S. Uh, mall. Fair. I got I got sassy and you had an answer ready to go that fully, <laughs> fully shut me down. Well done. God damn, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've no. Never heard of this show. Like, and so I'm just like, I'm like, what else are they hiding? Uh, teen television and international TV right now. Like, I can go off on, like, the weird international TV that Netflix is putting out. Yeah, they got some good stuff. Well, Netflix has become the American Express of streaming services. Where anywhere in the U.S. they're, like, kind of small fish now. But everywhere else in the world where there's not as much competition, they are still top dog by such a mile that they get all of these international TV shows on there for everybody. Yeah. I got I got a complicated relationship with Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very strange. It's uh uh you know some of uh, some of their business practices with uh with with the, what they've done with comedians makes me kind of sad. Fail. But uh but but overall it is wild just that they are, you know, so thoroughly you know the center point of culture you know and media in mm-hmm. a way that like is is you know happened kind of so gradually, and I think like. Now it feels like it's a little bit more of an open field. Like it's it weird. I feel like it like like a bunch of streaming things happened. Netflix murdered them all, and then now a second generation of streaming things are coming for it, and they're they've learned much from their first defeat. Yeah. As 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 somebody wrote for a CISO show, it's been fun to watch. <laughs> yes. But like Netflix has a bunch of really great international TV shows. Uh Ragnarok, Dark, Kuan. Um, black spot it's really impressive yeah like the international catalog absolutely you know it's you know and it makes them you know a ton of sense especially in a post i feel like black mirror even though it's like in english and bbc at the same time like opened i mean and doctor who as well i think oh, it yeah. opened up uh like american audiences like 
Oh, other people make TV. Look at that. Mm-hmm. I'll be damned. Yeah, I've not been the biggest Black Mirror fan. Uh, I really like those first two seasons. Uh, I am a much bigger fan of Dead Set. Charlie Booker's like zombie show he did before Black Mirror, I mm-hmm. think, is is much a be- much more like the kind of Charlie Booker writing I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it definitely like like I feel like such a shithead every time. I'm like when it went to America, it got awful. But like when it went to America, it got kind of awful. Or not awful. It just got lame. Like it kind of lost its edge. Like I feel like the first season especially is just so dark and nasty in a way that is very fun and refreshing and then eventually it's just like but what if we just made this feelings porn yeah but i i have already stated my issues this episode with anthology shows that doesn't help with the entire uh black mirror thing uh yeah but yeah no, uh, it, yeah it's uh I don't know I because I I lo- I enjoy the the anthologyness just because like but again I think some of it comes down to for me it's a very specific thing of like because I God I sound like such an asshole but like because I work on so much stuff and have so many projects like it's rare that I have like a TV show's worth of time to invest in something mm-hmm. so like I feel like I'm the kind of person who loves an anthology show because I can get a little taste of something and then get back to work yeah. And and I get frustrated about anthology shows because I want I'm about characters first and and anthology shows are so much more generally about the big like idea plot. than the character. Yeah. No, I I, I, I totally get that. It's uh, it's interesting. We could we could do like 90 hours on this cuz we are oh, kind yeah. of the perfect two opposite ends of the spectrum on this. Like that's this this uh this could literally be its own episode and just everyone listening will die. Yes. Of, no, of, I of, I of have any confusion. I haven't even gotten to bring up the Pretender yet. What is that? Do you not know about the Pretender? Not even. I know the. It's a. There's a. Isn't that a? It's a Foo Fighters song. So the Pretender was a. Let me. Uh, was a TV show from uh 1996 to 2000. So it, it's it's yeah, right there. Full blank spot for me. Uh huh. Eighty six episodes. Um, what? yeah, about a kid who can, like, look at a person and get everything that's going on with them, and he's on the run from a secret government agency that deals with what they call pretenders, um, and so it's him hiding out, doing a different job each week while solving a crime or, or, uh, unknown, um, or a cold case in the area before running away from the government agents who are constantly just on his tail. Hmm. That's an interesting man. What was that on? Uh, let me look. I don't. I I got it because my dad had the DVDs. NBC. Okay. Really? Yeah. Huh. Look at that. Birds of prey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think if there's like more to, more to hit on because I feel like we kind of nailed a lot of it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a very fun show that has an interesting place in the legacy of television and specifically DC television because um I think DC does television better than Marvel by like a mile and a half. A billion trillion gazillion percent. Like the only good Marvel TV shows have been the teen focused ones. And even those, like, when you compare to the teen focused of DC, like is is 
pretty lightweight competition. I will go to bat for Runaway than Cloak and Dagger. Okay. It's, uh, you know, but it's interesting with like those because those have similar DNA to Birds of Prey. Yeah. Because they're both very much like things where like the company's like, we don't give a fuck what you do with this character. So go to- nuts with your TV show. And it's, and it very much feels like they learn from the success of Pretty Little Liars and Fosters and all the other, because they're both freeform shows. Mm. Um, and freeform used to be ABC Family. Yes. Um, so and, it's, yeah. It very much feels like these were people. It it was not brought in as a Marvel property first. It was brought in as a teen drama first with these Marvel things around it. It's it's the last kind of old school Hollywood versions of of like Marvel property material. Well, this is twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. Oh, yeah. yeah. But but what I mean is like we will never see that again. Like Marvel is so in control of its brand at this point, especially post Fox acquisition. Like we will never see like a like wild interpretation of the characters in the Marvel universe ever again. Mm-hmm. But it's it's I think they're leaving money on the table with this because they, oh absolutely. Uh, and this is a larger issue I have with Disney that Disney does not give teenagers a due time. Yeah, like at all. It's uh, it's cause you, it's territory that that makes Disney nervous because it's mm-hmm. all about feelings and and crushes and like things like that that I think like Disney's sort of like, oh no, thank you. Well, and it's a lot of teen television is tackling a lot of issues in ways. Post Degrassi Society, baby. Well, even that that show blew it all open. Well, it's more of I think post. It's it's. As someone who's been watching TV, and this is a much, much, much more recent development than, like, Degrassi was one thing. Um, but it's, like, post-Parkland and uh, the school shootings, they've really started to tackle, and, and how active teenagers if have If you remember, though, time. Drake was put in a wheelchair in a school shooting in Degrassi. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm... I'm, this is one of those ones where I'll defend because I do feel like every other show that has tried to touch an issue in the last 20 years is is standing in the shadow of Degrassi, the next generation. Like, I think that show in the long term of looking at like the meta of television evolving is probably one of the most significant shows ever made. Let, let me rephrase this a little bit. It's not that Degrassi didn't do it. It's that Degrassi was so ahead of its time. It's an, an anomaly. Sure. Okay. Yes. In that case, yes. No. I'm I, I'm on the same page with you now. Mm-hmm. It's it's it was doing this stuff, um, and but a lot of the TV shows, like even the CW fair, are now consistently talking about race issues and school shootings and that type of content alongside their normal content, and that's stuff focused at teenagers, yeah. and that is stuff. Disney is consistently on the other side of the ball from where teenagers generally are. Yeah. And that, but that's also always been true. Like Mm -hmm. Disney has never been a teen brand. Yeah. With exception of Nightmare Before Christmas and like Pirates of the Caribbean and like weird flukes. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, that's, that's the thing about Disney that again, they've purchased their way into like, a lot like getting rid of a lot of their like flaws but it's they're not flaws but like weaknesses because it's the same reason the reason they spent you know seven billion dollars total on marvel and star wars is because they could not make a brand work for boys like this has (laughs) been a running problem with them for 50 years you know and it literally finally was like we'll buy two of the strongest boy brands and then that's just who we are now and i think like there's not a teen thing that they can acquire 
-hmm. And there's, I, I genuinely think like, I don't even see if they think they see it as money on the table mm -hmm. because especially now, because like teens will still go to Marvel teens will still be attracted to things like pirates of the Caribbean that come along and they'll still go to parks. So, mm -hmm. like, they're getting that money without having to do any of the work to stir up controversy or, like, get involved in dialogues that they're not interested in. So, like, yeah. I, it makes sense. But at the same time, it's I think all of that leads to that, like, you know, Marvel just through sheer, like, money and infrastructure is kind of impossible to beat on the film front for a certain type of movie. Yeah. But at the same, but on TV, like, you know, WandaVision being maybe the first time, WandaVision and Agent Carter being like the two shows where like, you know, they, they really took a jump. I would argue it's weird with Agent Carter because I think like Agent Carter would still be a great character and TV show if she had nothing to do with the Marvel Universe. I always feel like the Marvel Universe sort of claims her when she's sort of successful on her own. Yeah. And that that show also has a lot of controversy around it. Hmm. Uh, in specific sectors, because um, Agent Carter and the other female lead had so much romantic chemistry that they wrote the second female lead out of the show, so they didn't have to deal with it. It's uh, it's like New Mutants, where they buried it because they're just like we were weird about it. Yeah, which I still appreciate that movie, but you're talking to a guy who bought it on Blu-ray. I, I also own it on Blu-ray. I can't I complain find it too. To be a very entertaining like mess that I think is better than people give it credit for, but by no means like a great film. I'm you know, also the person who will go to bat for Alita Battle Angel. I have no sure. place to stand. Man, Alita though in like five years is going to be like full pantheon. Like there's <laughs> uh, like Alita is just waiting for society to catch on board. But like, I feel like the people like, like it's uh it's like a slow John Wick where people are slowly figuring out that there's a secret James Cameron movie that exists. Well, I think it's more, it's Speed Racer. Yes. What? Which, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> that's a, man, that's, that is a movie that I love with all of my heart and yes. soul. Like, like mm -hmm. what a, what a masterpiece of a film. And I grew up on Speed Racer because my dad raced cars. Mm -hmm. So like, watching that for the first time and really seeing like oh my god like not only is there a speed racer live action movie where i think every single actor in the cast i'm a massive fan of but on top of that it's amazing and probably one of the best edited movies ever by with, yeah, with un, man that i feel like our children will be like you guys just didn't even did you guys even know what to do with yourself when you watch speed race and we're like definitely not no this movie is 20 years ahead of the human mind uh-huh but I'm also someone who has the third triple X movie on my shelf. Yeah, look, the return of Xander Cage is something to celebrate. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'll say this, the difference between, because uh, I'll bring it circle, like New Moons is a movie that I like a lot, but I can't really defend if somebody shits on it. Like, I think that, that the X-Men fan of me, there's weird, sh they they got a Lockheed that was real in Blue Fire. And that was, that was something for me. I mm -hmm. really like, I don't know, I just, I enjoy that movie for its trashiness. Uh, the flip side of that would be like something like the movie version of Birds of Prey, where I will get into somebody's face where I'm just like, if you think this is bad, you hate fun. Because oh, yeah. every part of the the moment that cocaine scene where they shoot at the bags of cocaine, she gets high on cocaine and beats a bunch of cops with a baseball bat. I was like, this is my movie of the year. Give this movie the Oscar and a billion dollars. Like this is this is all I've ever wanted in a film. Well, we're we're completely missing that entire album too. Mm. Yes. Because, like, the soundtrack to Birds of Prey is, like, the first major... Ma okay, I'm going to get real music nerdy here. 
Oh, here we go. It was one of the first introductions to the stylings of hyperpop that the mainstream audience has ever gotten. Because, mm. like, hyperpop was super underground. Really, only the big things were the PC music scene, which wasn't massive, but had was one of those, like, it's your band's favorite band type things. Yeah. Um, And then it basically getting on the Birds of Play soundtrack was massive. Which is interesting because, like, just think how massive it would have been if the movie had also, like, been a hit. Yeah. But it was also uh, 2020. The world is a better place if Birds of Prey does better. I maintain if Birds of Prey was a successful film, COVID-19 never happens. I'm calling it. Yeah, and then in it's, the... It's everyone's fault but ours that all of this happened because we went and saw Birds of Prey in the theater. Do you know about the Tumblr campaign? For Birds of Prey? Uh, for, for Birds of... For... for... But the play sequel stuff. I mean, I'm all for it. Specifically that there's a section of Tumblr that wants Uma Thurman to come back as Poison Ivy. That'd that, be dope. That is literally calling itself Let Harley Quinn Have Her Milf. Damn, that'd rule so hard. <laughs> God. Well, I gotta go sign that petition now. <laughs> I just love the name of it. God, you just could get so weird. Can you imagine if they then put Michelle Pfeiffer as a retired Selena Kyle in it? Mm-hmm. And like last last chunk of the movie, she throws on like a like a modified modern Catwoman suit thing and is just effing people up along with Poison Ivy and and Harley Quinn. That's give that best picture. Like, well, and then we also we can also in that movie do a name on Toya getting the question. Yeah, and then also putting goddamn we can put. Zatanna in there like there's like oh, yeah. that's because that's the thing is like the DC lady squad is I would argue far stronger than the uh than the Marvel squad especially uh, if you take the X-Men out of the equation absolutely it's it's it is it, it is like the it is weird sometimes how much the X-Men has to legitimize the rest of the Marvel <laughs> universe <laughs> yeah especially like, like, now because the new X-Men stuff is so fucking good yeah, and I, you know, and it's one of those things where I'm like, everything that they're doing with the X Men is amazing, and I don't even know what's happening in the rest of the Marvel universe. Like, it's just so far off my radar. I do not care, but just shove that X Men stuff in my eyes. Uh, they've done a retrain of Maximum Carnage. Uh huh. And now they're fighting the God of the Symbiotes. Oh, look at that! I bet that's real fun. It, it's uh, actually not terrible. Yeah, the 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 maxi series stuff was really what kind of turned me off of like like you know regular comic pickups and stuff like that. Because by the time it was like Dark Reign, I was like, I'm out. Like I'm gonna go read like weird old comics and or like weird indie books. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, but like Boom Studio though has been putting out some great stuff. They've been doing good. Uh, and then I real I I have really kind of been amazed by like just how like is like. Boom's good. I am definitely more into what IDW has done as far as like the intellectual property books are ah. concerned. Like <laughs> I think that fucking Ghostbusters book that has been out for, you know, so many years now is truly immaculate. Like it's weird to me anytime somebody is mad about Ghostbusters and like you know like one of the best versions of this series is already in comic form and has been running for a while. It's I have IDW doesn't hit for me because I am not an 80 80- a kid of the 80s so ghostbusters and, is, and like, transformers and stuff yeah, like i don't that, care about don't the transformers but the ghostbusters one won me over and then they have a couple of like idw ends up having a couple of books that i think are image books that turn out to be idw books mm-hmm. but like but the rest of their their fair like i don't really care about transformers i don't really care about gi joe 
but like those you know but then and then like there is shit like they did do a like a ninja turtles ghostbusters crossover and i'm like i'm not made of stone these are things i enjoy i grew up on the 2003 tmnt show which is the 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 best of all the tv versions of the ninja yeah. by a country mile and it's like how fucking metal is this show well again it's it's you know the the first ninja turtles movie is my favorite movie of all time like <laughs> bar none without question there is no competitors but like it, it part of what I love is like both that movie and the 2003 cartoon both really capture the magic of the comic, which I also love. Mm -hmm. And I think that like I got it. I mean, I grew up on the, the, the 80s cartoon and like I love it. It's stupid as hell, but it's got some fun moments. But mm -hmm. like that that one, like I may mean, have the raft from the 2000 series on on Michelle looking down at me, and mm -hmm. and it is just like it looks great, and it and it really does good work with all the characters. Like I love their April and Casey Jones, like the fact that they like bring in like Fugitoid and all the like kind of weird things that like the other shows just the versions just didn't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's such a good show, and then all on YouTube too. I know, um, <laughs> love that channel. Also, like. Other cartoons from that era. Have you encountered Sherlock Holmes from the twenty second century? I have. I I am I am very aware of that show. I love that uh, show. So it's much. a fun one. I wonder. My girlfriend is a big Sherlock Holmes fan. There was a book series she enjoyed as a kid that was about like a like a young girl who takes over for Sherlock Holmes, and so she's <laughs> got a real like mystery solving vibe. Uh, and so I I do wonder if that's something she watched. It's. I always laughed because I. It very much reminded me of the Phantom. 2022 or whatever mm -hmm. uh which was like another similar like we're going to take a classical old world figure and throw them into the future it was so surprising we didn't get like robot shadow yeah um but like have you encountered miss sherlock no uh mick sherlock miss sherlock with a japanese it, wait, miss sherlock or mick sherlock because they're miss. two very different things okay like M like ms uh, m yeah ms Okay, sorry. For a minute, when when I thought it was it was Mick Sherlock and it was just an Irish Sherlock, I was like, "This is weird." No, it's a Japanese production, mm. uh, adaptation of Sherlock with a female Sherlock and a female Watson. Oh, that's that, fun. That HBO International did, and sadly, it's only one season because the lead actress died. Mm. But yeah, I do recommend do it. it. Um. Ooh, okay. I'll have to poke around on that. Uh, it's on HBO Max. It's a good time. Yeah, they've had a couple. Of, I found that Phantasmagoria show, Goria show that they have on there that was kind of a fun find. Mm -hmm. Yeah, HBO Max is like really solid. Yeah, it's. I mean, HBO is doing a lot of cool stuff. Like, like mm -hmm. it's. Uh, you know, they just they just do shit that like other places would. The, the example I always think of is like Los Spookies. It's mm -hmm. one of those things where I'm just like, it is so fucking cool that someone let this get made because I feel like you pitch this show to like most executives and they get a panic look in their eye because they truly can't fathom like everything the show is. And I feel like then you watch the show and you're just like, this is always needed to exist. Like this is, this is so many things that just exist in the world that somebody's finally like doing a funny thing with. And like, mm -hmm. it's so, it's so neat. For sure. I, I am not the biggest like HBO proper fan. Um, as much as I know you love it, I have bounced off of The Sopranos like three or four times. It's uh, so yeah, I bounced off it for twenty five years. So it's not like I'm just like what. Uh, I think like it's it's a thing that like, you know, most it's it's you know it's it's you know not gonna roll with it. And then like, but you know, sometimes you find your way in with it because I think it's a show that like, 
you know, works on a lot of levels, but it's also one that you kind of have to be in like the right headspace and place in your life before it like clicks. Yeah. And it's, it's, I have an issue with like the difficult man archetype mm. that characterizes Sopranos and Breaking Bad and Mad Men. Sure. And I think like for me, like I have had a lot of that character in my life at different points. So I find it like kind of compelling and interesting just because it's like something I have a lot of experience with. Yeah. Like the closest I get to it is Killing Eve and that's, they gender flipped it. Which and makes, so- I was about to say, it makes total sense that that would be your jam. Like, yeah. I, I am a useless lesbian. That is very hot. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's, uh, you know, I think that, you know, everybody finds a thing for me, like what, what ultimately won me over with the Sopranos is that it starts you off thinking that the show is one thing. And the longer you watch it, you realize like, Oh, they've tricked me. This is about everything, but what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, like it's not like this diff, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's why I put it about Breaking Bad. Like Tony to me is so much more complicated of a character than Walt. And Walt's a great character. Breaking Bad's not a bad show, but I think mm-hmm. like Breaking Bad is a little more black and white with its like morality in a way that I think is like what makes it so palatable to a massive audience is you feel bad, but the show is still kind of like at no point, even though you're rooting for Walt because he's the protagonist, like you're still not like, I love this guy. Whereas mm-hmm. like, you know, Tony is a horrible monster, but there are also still times where you're like, I fucking love this dude. And like that level of complication, I think is much more of a interesting conversation to have than mm-hmm. just like bad man does bad thing. Yeah. No, it's, but I just have you know, a I... complicated relationship with that entire genre. Oh, for sure. I, uh, it, it makes all the sense to me. It's never one of those, like, but I also like, I am very much of the mindset that like, the idea that there's like this total canon that that all should see and all will agree upon are great is such a like fuck that i mean yeah cuz it's you know and it's and it's not like i don't think that like there is great art that should be accepted as great art but it's more like the way i always use it is like uh i hate the beatles and the exorcist and and people love those two things and they just do nothing for me i find mm-hmm. nothing compelling or interesting about them at all and i actively wish i wasn't consuming them when i'm consuming them i am with and, you they are on the beatles yeah and and so like i just like you know every couple of years i will go and watch the exorcist as a huge horror fan and i just continue to go no i genuinely dislike this film yeah <laughs> and i don't get what people think is good about it like it's well made and i think i'm just also sort of not a william friedkin guy but like it's not but i don't then go like i'm shooting down like the uh, the exorcist is bullshit like i'm not gonna go shit on a thing that has brought generations of people joy and inspiration because <laughs> i don't like a thing because i'm not a raging narcissist but at yeah. the same time like i do appreciate the idea that like if something's not for you and people think it's great like you absolutely do are not on some social contract to watch it that was a really freeing thing for me with like not watching joe's you know i don't <laughs> most of the time have a desire to be a part of like the conversation on stuff because I just, I, I don't know. I guess I like think about art differently or something like that. Like, and it's, it's not like, I don't, the conversation is less interesting to me than like me kind of having like an emotional relationship with it. It's like, you know, like I said earlier in the thing, like I'm watching the strain right now, a show that people have largely forgotten about from many you know years ago. Mm-hmm. And, but like, and I could have watched it then. And I think I watched the first two episodes and was like, eh, this is whatever. But like now I'm having a great time with it because I'm in a mindset where I'm sort of like, oh, this is interesting. And like where I'm at, like 
in life and in creatively and mentally, like this is sort of like hitting the spot. And I always feel like I would rather consume something when I think it's compelling instead of consuming something just because I'm supposed to culturally. Like I find yeah. that I really bristle off that. And so mm -hmm. like, you know, it's never a like, shut this down, shut these all down. There's certain things that I like roll my eyes at, like, you know, what the way they are sort of like thirstily trying to reboot things like Star Wars and, and Ghostbusters. And like, man, I just keep, keep trying to feel to the ground to see when they decide to reboot Back to the Future and we watch the end of reboots. Um, but, I don't uh, think ending reboots will ever happen. I think I think it'll fall out of fashion. I think yeah. like remakes, remakes will always exist. They always have. But I think that like, uh, the sheer volume of intellectual property diarrhea being sprayed, I think will probably be a thing, you know, and I, and everybody's like, I think this is here to stay. I'm like, cool. Look at every cultural movement across all of the world and humanity. Like things do not stay the same friend. So like, hold on to your loot crates. Yeah. It's, it's funny how much like nerd culture is like, we're at the top. And so now it'll stay this way forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it just reminds me we of, won game over sorry <laughs> it just reminds me of um i follow a lot of uh like the like youtube video essayist mm -hmm. um and it it's fascinating how they talk about what they choose to talk about and how they choose to talk about it um and i'm specifically thinking Along the same lines of what you were thinking about, Noah Gervais Codwell, who's a brilliant video essayist, went back and talked about one of the, like, I think it was Tom Clancy Wildlands, like, two years after it was relevant. Yeah. And he's like, this I was... I love that shit. He was like, this is something that I covered when I was a games journalist. And it stuck with me, and now I'm going back to re-examine it and, and look at it with a really critical eye. Um, and, like, he just recently did an amazing piece on Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2. Oh, right on. That is, made me understand Star Wars in better than I have ever understood Star Wars before and made me understand why I don't give a fuck about Star Wars, except for <laughs> Knights of the Old Republic 2. Well, and that's but that and that's the charm of Star Wars is that everybody's like fuck Star Wars except blank. Uh, and I think that that's what, if they were going to look at something, they would should figure out the, like, oh... Well, wait a minute. Tell us more about that. Except blank, and it's like, yeah, it's uh, you do the little pieces. Tie Fighter, Shadows of the Empire, like Kotor, like weird, weird, fun things that people can kind of small lock into. Well, so specifically, Kotor is a uh, Kotor two is a direct argument with the entire universe of Star Wars from within Star Wars, and like challenging all of its founding tenets. And Kotor rules. Yeah. The my favorite video essayist in that same kind of thing is a guy named Ragnar Rocks. He's oh, I love Ragnar Rocks. Holy shit! I want him on This Is Rad so fucking bad. I don't know what I talk to him about because he is so much smarter than me. But like I, especially since like the way he talks about like you know game criticism, along with the fact that he is such a big horror guy, like he's so mm -hmm. thoroughly just like. Uh, you know, in my wheelhouse on stuff. The the his piece on Vampire the Masquerade is incredible. Oh yeah, his Resident Evil Seven thing is the thing I've watched probably forty five times. His thing on Pathologic Two, yeah, and Pathologic made me buy that game. And Pathologic, I think, is one of the best piece of arts I have ever consumed. That's the other thing that I kind of love is like the way he is able to spotlight very specific 
like corners of of independent gaming <laughs> and really like using a platform to help not only stuff get eyes but like very specifically choosing stuff that like other like essayists or tastemakers might not choose you know because they're sort of like darker or weirder or more cerebral and i think that like that's such a cool aspect of what he does is when he does his like itch you know breakdowns of like stuff to go check out i'm mm -hmm. always just like that's so neat like you've just like he's the reason i know who puppet combo are yeah and it's it's like he and noah of on like on this one end of like very intellectual people i i would yeah. put not for video games but for tv and movies lady night the brave in there too along there with yeah absolutely Oh, you know Lady Night's Brave, yes. Uh, well, not not like well. Not, I, I don't want to get you super hopeful, but it's a thing that like, again, like anytime I find like an essayist or critic who I think is not a fucking idiot, I'm always excited. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like uh, like the the uh, HuffPo world has really like taken the concept of criticism and really turned it into just like an angry blog about like somebody's vendetta with something, which is fine, but also like not what I want to read. Like- uh -huh. I will you have know. to send you some Noah Gervais Caldwell. It's, yeah, please do. It's, um, he's great. Uh, but on the other end, there's there's the more like bite-sized ones, uh, Super Bunny Hop and Game Maker's Toolkit. Yeah, there's and there's ones like that. Like you know, I I ain't against. I'm trying to think like there's some ones like that that I definitely. I mean, I I'll roll with like some that are a little different. Like a they're less like in depth, but like a Matt McMuscles or a Stop Skeletons from Fighting and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, I, little, I think I think on the short end I end up a little more on the the mini docs than mini essays for my shorter stuff. Yeah, but I I will point towards specifically Game Maker's Toolkit because he does. I've never heard of that one, so that sounds great. Uh, he does a yearly game jam too. Oh, cool! That consistently breaks the record for largest game jam on itch.io. Oh, I feel like this is going to start a real controversy on your podcast, but. Uh... Fuck, what's it called? I, I am seriously entertaining. I think I'm going to buy one of those, that little handheld that's coming out. Mm. The uh, Oh, the Playdate? Ah. Just because I am so fascinated. I mean, A, it's it was co-designed by Teenage Engineering, which is a company that I fucking adore. They make uh, the pocket operator mini mm. synthesizers and samplers. But like, uh, I think that the way that they are approaching every part of gaming as an experiment is so much fun. Oh yeah. And the fact that they're keeping it cheap and doing these interesting things and making it look nice and giving you, you know, the games along with it on this platform, you know, this release strategy and shit like that. I just like, I can go like, God, what a, what an interesting thing. So I feel like I'm buying into that just because again, it's, it's interesting to watch somebody really experimenting with what gaming can be in a way that doesn't feel like it's being like willfully trying to shake shit up, but it's just trying something where I'm like, Oh, every part of this is some shit that I've not thought about. And now you guys are doing, and I think looks really interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the way that board gaming and video gaming are kind of fusing in certain yeah. aspects. Um, one of my favorite board games of all time is mansions of madness, which has an app that plays the bad guys. Oh, interesting. Um, it's impossible to show off properly over internet because of it, but um, it's like you, it's it's within that like Arkham Horror brand that I was talking about earlier. Okay. Um, but it's you're going into a house and it's a but you have like a pile of tiles and it and you choose your mission and then it will tell you, okay, place this tile out, place your investigators here, here's all the doors and here's all the things you can interact with. What do you want to do? Huh. 
and it's like this almost physical choose-your-own-adventure-game-style thing. Okay, that sounds interesting. It is utterly fascinating, um, and I love it. I can go on about board games for hours, so. Most definitely. We, we, uh, God, I feel like an asshole. I'm just like, has Rad done a board games? I'm pretty sure they have, but we should do more of them. I can but, come in uh, and talk about this weird shared universe of board games. <laughs> yeah, no, and, 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 you know, you're already in that dangerous zone where, like, you exist in my pocket now. So it'll be, like, it'll just be in the middle of the night. You'll get a text. It's like, can you do this in two hours? <laughs> as, as long as you send me that text before, as long as we're recording after 7 p.m., then probably yes. Okay, well, that is legitimately good information to know. <laughs> I, wake, I wake up at 7 p.m., so. Ah, okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this has been a goddamn delight. Yeah, it really has. Thank you very much for having me on this. This was so much fun to just get to sit just the two of us and bullshit. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, if people wanted to reach out to you, where could they find you? Uh, um, so I am on social media exclusively to talk to people via podcast stuff. So I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kyle Clark is rad. So if you got follow up stuff there, uh, shoot me a message. Uh, if you're not mean, I will respond. Uh, and then uh, I have a my two podcasts that I do. This is Rad, which is uh, uh, my, my baby. We, people come on. They talk about things they like. Uh, it's my favorite thing in the world. And then uh, I have Everything is Scary with my dear friends Jen Saunderson and Amy Drolet. And we talk about horror movies. And I'm trying to expand us into doing more general horror stuff because I've really found we did a year of – for COVID, we basically turned the show into a horror movie book club, mm -hmm. which has been a, been fun. I have really had the moment as of late of really realizing like, how much of my love of horror is way past horror movies, mm -hmm. you know? And so I was like, God, why am I kind of hitting a wall? And it's like, oh, well, like haunts and, you know, horror fiction is probably my number. Those are probably my number one and two. And then it's like horror gaming and like horror movies, which I love, but are really like one part of a very intense ecosystem. Yeah. So I'm hoping like a man. Uh, if you listen to the show, folks, at some point here in the not just future, I'm not making a promise. It's just something I want to do at some point. Like, I'm going to have to explain PT to Jen and Amy. Oh, God. And I feel like, and I feel okay. like it's just going to be me with rolled up shirt sleeves, smoking a cigarette going, all right, I'm going to preach this one more time. You're technically not Norman Reedus, or you could be. We don't know. Do I need to donate a PS4 to you? Because I have a PS4 that still has PT on it. Well, I do have the version of it that's on Game Maker Garage right now, so I'll probably <laughs> use that. <laughs> but no, it's it's uh because like I've never played PT, but I maintain that like the demo watch of PT that I watched the night I watched it when that went up is the scariest I've ever been watching anything. Yeah, it's the scariest movie I've ever seen was the the IGN thirty minute playthrough uh, or you know hour long playthrough of PT. Yeah. Uh, but like I think that that is one of the most interesting and significant outside of jordan peele i think pt is probably the second most significant thing mm -hmm. to happen to horror in like the last 20 years and so it's it's you know stuff like that that i just think would be really fun because like they have no idea what it is like they have no reference point for silent hill and again like silent hill 2 being like a thing that's like oh yeah there's like like that's one of probably the most like seminal gaming and horror experiences i ever had was being 15 or not even that old like, like 13 and just being absolutely to my bones terrified while playing through that game. You know, I, and it's that kind of stuff. I had that with Fatal Frame 2. There we go. Crimson Butterfly. Yeah. That game uh, is terrifying. 
Yes, absolutely. It is. And so like, so I'm hoping, hoping to start sort of bringing some of that in, but right now it's mostly, mostly horror movies, which has been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm making us watch fear street for next week. Oh, which one we're going to, we're going to watch 84 or 94 separate, like, you know, like, or like, like as an episode, and then we're going to have another week's episode. And then at the end of the month, we do a, you know, watch along with us. So I think we're going to do part two, the 78 as a group watch at the, the last oh, Thursday of the month. I am so excited for Fear Street. I, I, I think it's going to be insane. Like it, it's, it's such a weird combination of things and it got made so fast that I'm just looking at it going like, all right, let's strap in. Cause if nothing else, this is going to be weird. Well, it's Al Stein who I love. Who See, and like I think like I have an affinity for R.L. Stein as like a media figure. I don't think he's like a good writer. Uh can we pause for just a second? Yeah, go ahead. Hey, sorry about that. My dad was calling and so I'm not sure if there's something up, so I might have to go investigate that. No problem. That's perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, so I'll uh I'll uh so you know, so we've got the plugs there, but yeah, uh, and I've got stand up albums, absolute terror out and uh I'm a person are both out on uh, on Apple Music and Spotify and wherever you get your fine things. And uh yeah, those are the plugs I'll stick with for mm -hmm. now. Tales from Analog Futures on Gumroad, but there's uh news for it, the analog future that will be coming soon as soon as I do a whole bunch of work first. Of course. Well then But uh yeah. I say that like like I'm doing the, the the giant stuff. It's also a shitload of work Sean has to do, uh, yeah. and and our, and our new crew as well. Anyways, but thank you again for having me. This has been delightful. Thank you very much for coming on.